Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. College basketball last night. Kev, um, Colts injury report news. You were focused on what? Well, certainly yesterday afternoon, yeah, Colts injury news. Um, but yeah, last night I was back and forth. That uh, that first game of the Champions Classic was really good. Michigan State winning in double overtime over Kentucky. Uh, two uncontested dunks to send into each overtime. Then Michigan State, who I don't think is supposed to be like one of Izzo's best teams, but kind of curious where they're going to fit into this Big Ten picture. So they get a win, and then uh, I watched a lot of Purdue. To be honest with you, that was my first real look at Braden Smith and just it's Purdue player, in general. Wow. Uh, I tweeted last night, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer will win a lot, a lot of games in West Lafayette. Yeah, Braden Smith, I liked his just his tenacity. And I've heard that about him from day one. I mean, yeah, he's got yeah, an edge. Obviously, he was, you know, Mr. Basketball, but um, just one of those guys that doesn't back down to anybody. I mean, you have to like his playing style, but... You see who Matt Painter compares him to with that edge? I did not hear who he compared him to. I, you would know better than I, but I think this is very high praise. Um, he sees a little Scott Skiles edge to that him. Is really, and that is a really good comparison. Yep. That's exactly right. Like, kind of just a bulldog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, in control on both ends, made a variety of plays for Purdue, and that was, boy, those final 10 minutes, it wasn't looking great there. Marquette continued to throw him in from deep, but uh, Purdue came back, controlled home floor. They beat Marquette last night. Good Wednesday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykedin. Jeff Saturday's first, I guess, full week as head coach of the Colts. Uh, They'll get back to practice coming up later today, and... As you said, Shaquille Leonard, back surgery. I tried to mention that a few times yesterday, that it sounded like that was up next for him. Shaquille Leonard with back surgery yesterday, his second back surgery in five months. Um, Boy, there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions about Leonard's health, the level of play he can get back to, his contract situation, and the linebacker position. There's so many ways you could go with this story. Is there any chance that, I guess the answer is always, this is always in play, but is it is it risky right now, Kevin, or is it too pessimistic, or how are you going to look at it, to ask if this is career-threatening? No. I mean, Jake, we're talking two back surgeries in five months. A guy that's game is so predicated on an elite level of athleticism. He plays linebacker 215 pounds. He doesn't want to be 240, you know, thumping it up in the middle. I mean, he's a guy that wants to rely on... On range and speed, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, He does not strike me as an individual that is going to throw in the towel. You know, I think some guys would have two back surgeries in this sort of span and hear about nerve regeneration and all that and I mean we're not even counting an ankle surgery he had last June. So you can look at it and say three surgeries in the past what 15 months. Um even if you don't want to go down the career route, Jake, 
you watched him this year. He was a shell of himself. So, while Leonard might have a question about his own playing future, the Colts, bless you, the Colts will have to ask a question about him. And it's just wild to think that, you know, one of the four guys on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium right now, and this is totally out of his control, but unfortunately it looks like a bad contract for the next four seasons or so, and you're very concerned about how effective he can be for you moving forward. Is there any city that over the last 15 years has had sports media have to talk more about nerve regeneration right. than Indianapolis? Yeah. And boy, I mean, the, that's just the stuff you don't want to hear, right? Like, back surgeries to me, that is like a top the list of injuries athletes do not want to be dealing with. I mean, hell, any human being. Uh, you're right. I mean, it, it's just an... You know, and we should say this. We should say this, which is, I can only imagine. I mean, I I get my lower back gets stiff in the morning, that kind of thing. I stand up straight; it takes a second to get going. I, you know, again, I'm not comparing myself to the rigors of a professional athlete, except for to say that it is not only painful but frustrating. And so, yes, as a football player you want to see Shaquille Leonard get back to health but just as a guy you, you hope the guy well right I mean exactly. I, I can't imagine it's got to be a combination of obviously painful and very frustrating so you feel bad for the guy you just do and he's been very open about just how I think this physical situation and to your point Jake it's been very difficult to properly diagnose and that has to add to the frustration yeah you know, I remember Leonard up there in late May saying we think we have everything taken care of uh, aren't going to need any more surgeries, all those things. And a few weeks later, he's having back surgery. And now a few months later, he's having another one. Um, you know, his instincts, and he said this last week, he was basically like, I know I'm a step slow right now. So I've got to watch more film. My instincts have got to try and cover up for what I'm lacking in that kind of peak level of athleticism. And that's just a, it's just a dangerous game to play. Um, so yeah, another back surgery for him yesterday and we get into it a little bit later, but you know, I think you have to ask a lot of questions at that position. You know, first off is Gus Bradley going to be here next year? What does your defense look like? Do you still value linebacker like you have in the Chris Ballard era? Is Chris Ballard going to be here? You know, I brought up to Mark a few weeks back. I found it very interesting, Jake, that Matt Eberflus goes to Chicago Roquan Smith, who by all accounts has played at a really high level in his NFL career at linebacker, he's a guy that the Eberflus regime in Chicago doesn't value at the level that maybe the Colts valued Shaquille Leonard at. And I just think that's an interesting um, situation that is comparable to Indy that you have to acknowledge because if Chris Ballard is gone, if Gus Bradley is gone, how those new people view this roster could greatly shift the makeup of, I think, a roster that for the most part at the top has been pretty consistent outside of quarterback over the last few years. What is the the contractual status of uh, Bobby Okereke? Free agent. EJ Speed. Free agent. 
Zaire Franklin committed, right? Yeah, Zaire, two more years. Resigned this past offseason. Um, Bobby and EJ, Jake, I mean, those are two guys that I think have played pretty good football this season. Uh, absolutely. And, and Zaire Franklin's been a great player. Yeah, he leads the AFC in tackles. You know, but at the same time, he, this is going to sound like I'm selling him short. Does it not feel like he's kind of a key part of a play-by-committee kind of rotation? I, I hear you out. I, I want to give him a little bit more credit than that. I, I do think... You know, sometimes that middle-ish linebacker position, no matter who you put in there, that you just pencil him in for 10 tackles. Does he have a Gary Brackett-type feel to him where you're like, you know, he might not have had a lot of ballyhoo coming out. Maybe he's a little undersized, but he, he just makes plays. Yeah, I, again, I, I think he's shown me this year he's not just a special teamer. Right. Um. So credit to him for that. I think another element you have to look at is, again, Bobby O'Carrike and EJ Speed those are guys that I think will merit some sort of market and free agency. So then I got two questions off that. How much money do you want to continue to invest at linebacker? You've already invested a lot. And Leonard, certainly $100 million over five years. Zaire Franklin signed, I think it was a $12 million deal over three years. And if Ballard is still here, Jake, there's no position. Chris Ballard has drafted better than linebacker. I mean, Leonard in the second round, Okereke in the third, Speed in the fifth, right. Zaire Franklin in the seventh. I mean, he has hit consistently at linebacker. Anthony Walker in the fifth, if you want to go back to that first draft. So that might be a position where Ballard looks at it and says, hey, I'm going to let Bobby walk. I'm going to let EJ Speed walk. And I might just draft a linebacker in the fourth or fifth round because, again, that's a position that I've drafted really well at. Um, so it's going to be really Really interesting to see how all of this plays out. Leonard's own health, and then of course the trickle down effect from there with what your management could look like going into next year. Uh, that's the and big those one, two Kevin. Free agents. I mean, think about that. If you have a, and maybe it's unfair of us to say, but if you have a change in management, for example, that's a pretty darn big position to have to be figuring out right away, right? Pretty darn times ten. Again, Mark, you have felt this with the Bears. You watch a new regime take over. And the, what does the new regime do first? They look at your roster and they say, those contracts look awful. Yep. How can I get rid of them? And I'll get rid of them for price value that I think a lot of fans initially look at and they say, wait, Khalil Mack for that? Or you know, Robert Quinn for, for that? But that is part of the kind of gouging. Chris Ballard did it with Orion Grigson. Defense especially. Now, they made a big defensive haul, but... That is something that could be a huge storyline. Yeah, Ryan Poles basically January. Ryan Poles basically came out and said ahead of the season, like we're tearing this down to the studs. Like we're going to see what the young guys can do, but we're basically going to be seeing what we can do, and then we're going to look towards twenty twenty three. And that's what they did. Got rid of Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, Roquan Smith. They're all gone. They've got draft capital, and now they're just seeing what they got in the young guys. And that's universal across the NFL. Yeah, you know that is just I think how you see regime changes go. Um, anything? Watch, I was going to say, did you watch Kansas Duke? I lasted about a half. It was so, a little so sloppy for me. Yeah. It started so late. I didn't realize they were doing the college football rankings in between the games. Yeah. When it's, Notre Dame's not in it, you kind of forget about the Notre Dame's 18th, rankings. dude. I know. <laughs> it's a playoff 12 and you know what? this year. Notre Dame has the chance... To really kind of wreak havoc on this. They can play spoiler, right? Totally. I, the irony being, Kevin, you know who's the biggest Notre Dame fan right now? You. Dabo Sweeney. Me. Yeah. 
Because Clemson being at nine, there's a lot of cannibalization that could take place in front of them, but they're still going to need a lot of help. And included in that is Notre Dame beating USC. Now, we're not going to accept your fandom until you sing the fight song correctly. Oh, Clemson's fight song doesn't have words. It doesn't really have well, words. I'm talking from a Notre Dame standpoint. Oh, I, I did. You want Notre Thank Dame's? You. Thank you. Who's the, is this DePaul? Was that Dax the other this day? Is Tiger Rag right here. Called in. I told you. I told you to paw all day. Oh Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. That's one, two, three, and four. The rest of the way in the top ten, Tennessee, LSU, USC, Bama, Clemson, Utah. Penn State is 11. Notre Dame is 18 if you're looking for some Big Ten local flavor. So, Will the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, be eliminated? I, I don't think so. If it's really close, right? I, I don't know though, Kevin. It depends on how many conference champions you have. If you have one loss, Ohio State or Michigan, it's going to be Michigan. But if you have one loss, Michigan, who sits and watches the conference title game, how do you put them in over? If you have the SEC champion, you have if TCU wins the Big Twelve champion undefeated the Pac-10 champion, and possibly the ACC champion all. I mean... Well, I, I, you know, it's going to be interesting because you have this Tennessee team that sat, you know, went to Georgia, lost, you know, didn't play great by any means. They beat Alabama at home, in all, all likelihood. I don't know if Georgia's already clinched a spot in the SEC title game. I'm sure they probably have. They won't play for a conference championship game. They're going to have one loss to the number one team in the nation. Michigan, not going to play in their conference championship game. I'm hypothetically here, saying that they lose to Ohio State, but they won't have an Alabama type of win on their schedule. So, right now it's Michigan at three, Tennessee at five. How far does Michigan drop? You know, it seems like there's room for Michigan or Tennessee, depending on how the committee wants to look at those two teams. Right now, they've got undefeated Michigan two spots higher than Tennessee. How far will Michigan drop? It's a good question. And how far does a team rise? And I'll use Clemson just as an example because they have a loss. You know, how far can Clemson rise? Clemson needs of, a lot of help. They do. Help. I'm just using them as an example. But right. what I'm saying is if you are a one-loss team, but you are playing in your conference championship, and and while, in other words, if Clemson is going into the AC, if Clemson gets an additional game, the, the ACC title game. Yeah, North Carolina, right? That's and they're playing North Carolina and they beat them. How much does that move them past teams that are sitting in the right-hand lane with their blinkers on? Gosh, I, I don't know how quality of a win that is compared to some of those others. No, no, no. I, I get that. I'm just saying, or the Big 12 or the Pac-12. Like the Pac-10, we'll use the Pac-10 then. If USC wins the Pac-10... With, although they don't have a Pac-10 title game, do they? No, they do. Okay, they do. Yeah. So, so they got UCLA this week, Notre Dame next week, and then they'll have the see, championship game. Those are, those will be three quality wins. Correct. USC's got a chance to really put the foot down to the pedal, right? Which they need. Their resume's so, got nothing right now. So if USC, it, how much will that move USC in each of those each of those wins? Yeah. If a Tennessee or a Michigan is sitting and waiting to see what happens around them, they probably have the most potential of anybody else five through ten to climb. In other words, which is a greater movement? Which which more makes which moves you at a faster pace? Winning games, moving you forward, or being stagnant and having your season done 
possibly sliding you back. I would think that you still want to be playing in games yeah. and winning mm-hmm. them to move your position up. Because there is a recency bias, whether the committee wants to admit it or not. So I think the other thing the committee does, which is really smart, really smart. I truly believe this. Knowing what teams still have yet to play and et cetera, et cetera, I think the committee ranks them at times specifically and entirely for the sake of generating conversation. Right? Because they know. I mean, why have these Tuesday night shows, you know? <laughs> like, part of it is right. just from an entertainment standpoint. A Pacers Hornets tonight. That is from Charlotte. Uh, 6.30, our coverage begins. No Gordon Hayward. A shoulder injury. LaMelo Ball is back. He was uh, banged up earlier in the year. Sounds like Tyrese Halliburton will be good to go. Jeremiah Johnson going to join us at 9 o'clock. It's kind of been an interesting schedule for the Pacers. They've really only played once in the last six days. It's about to pick up some pace here. Uh, they have won five of seven. Charlotte has lost eight, or they lost eight straight before they beat the Magic on Monday night. I talked to Denary last night or yesterday, uh, he was on his way to the airport, and he said, you know, we've had like four days off or whatever, and then I think he told me, uh, after this, we won't have back-to-back off days for like six weeks or yeah, something Yeah, like you that. look at the schedule, and it really gets smushed together. Um, they've got six games, some on the road, some at home here over the next couple of weeks, and then uh, I think it's next Friday with the Nets, that, that tree lighting game that we're used to, the Friday after Thanksgiving. After that, that's when the Pacers start that massive road trip. I want to say it's seven games, seven straight games on the road uh, with the Western Conference there. So a uh, schedule's about to shift. Great. I wonder if Kyrie yeah. will be here for the big game after Thanksgiving. Will he be? Will they be here by then? What's up with him? Is it is the uh, are the five games over? I I think Mark. Do you know? I I thought they said it was, but there was still. There was the chance that he wasn't going to return to the Nets. The Nets may not want him back. I don't. I mean, I thought he had to meet with Nate uh, with uh, Adam Silver, and then I, I thought they said that the apology wasn't good enough or something. So I'm not sure what's going on with him. I mean, you know, if we can get him on air again, Jake can debunk his "the world is flat." Right after your trip to Europe, and that's now you right. Made it back. That's right. I did. We at one point I looked at and you could see the curvature. So yeah, he he is a flat earther, right? I believe that's. I still think the greatest tweet that I've not the greatest, but one of the the better tweets I've ever read was when Kyrie Irving signed with Boston, and someone sent a tweet that just said, "Can we please get a camera on Kyrie Irving when someone introduces himself as being from the Boston Globe?" <laughs> <laughs> like hell yeah! <laughs> uh, how about a happy birthday to my mother? Oh well, happy birthday, mom! Colleen Bowen turns. Uh, 59 years old, yeah. baby. Happy 59th, Colleen. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to reveal the age, but uh, special, special woman. So happy birthday to my what, mom. What's the big plan for the, what is the Bowen birthday, family birthday plan? We're going to do a little Basbo action. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, a little, little Basbo pizza action. And um, you know, she's welcomed two new grandchildren into the world here recently. So um, she's an incredible grandmother as well as a mom. So yeah, we're going to get together and do a little Basbo action. What, um... The, which Basbo? Downtown or Broad? Uh, we'll or probably Carmel? pick up uh, from the Broad Ripple one and uh, just have people over to our house. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. What time are we Parking is always yeah. an issue at that at that Broad Ripple one, Ralph. 
So Jake and I you should come by at what time? <laughs> I love me some Basbo. You can stop and get a, an orange fluff cake at Taylor's Bakery while you're there. Now, Basbo, that was where, didn't you have like a cousin ruin your surprise birthday? Yeah, party? My, my 50th birthday party. Um, my, my cousin Doug has a friend. Not to throw the cousin's friend under the bus, but I guess I just did. <laughs> he has a friend that works there, and I went to dinner at Basbo a week before my birthday, and his buddy said, oh, hey, man, happy birthday. And I said, oh, thanks. How'd you know that? He said, oh, Doug told me they got a big old surprise party <laughs> scheduled for you. After he said that, did he say anything else? Like He's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said anything, or he just carried No, on. just went on about his night. Oh. I mean, the service is great at Basbo. He had tables to get to. <laughs> as long as you don't have surprise birthday plans. I love Basbo. I've had so many. Your mom's got good taste because yeah. Basbo is the best. We are big, big fans of it. Uh, did you guys see who's on the call for Sunday? Colts Eagles? Colts uh, are trending in a good broadcasting announcer. I hope Ian Eagle. Boom. Is it really? Ian. So you had Kevin Harlan last week. Ian Eagle and Charles Davis coming up this Sunday. Do you know why Philly plays so well as a team? Oh, gosh, here comes some brotherly love joke or something. No, there's no Iron Eagle. <laughs> Come on, Mark. You got nothing there? I have something. I mean, in my opinion, that sucks. It's 7.20 in the morning, and I just came mm-hmm. with that out of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> Never needed to break more. <laughs> Who is Iron Eagle paired with? Charles Davis. Davis. Okay. Which I think is a really good duo. I, I enjoyed Kevin Harlan and Trent Green last week. Yeah, Kevin Harlan. When you Kevin Harlan is one of those broadcasters that when you hear his voice, you think it's you automatically think, well, this is a pretty big game, right? I mean, line down to six and a half. By the way, Colts and Eagles. The Colts should really have some winners as far as announced crews the rest of the season because you're gonna have what three primetime games the rest of the year. You got Ian Eagle, Charles Davis. Then you've got the Monday night games. You've got Joe Buck and and you got Aikman. Two of those. As long as the as long as the uh, Sunday night game doesn't get flexed out, you got Cowboys Colts, so that means you get uh, you know Collinsworth and Tarico. So, and then you got Chargers on Monday night as well, and you've got the Vikings, which that should if they keep staying on the pace that they're on, that should that should fetch a pretty pretty high announced crew. You know, say this for the Colts, for a team that is maybe not right now in the thick of some sort of a playoff chase from a record standpoint, they are certainly interesting. Yes. I they mean, were from, incredibly boring two or three weeks ago. You're and right. They do not fall on that boring meter at the level that they were at. You're right. I don't know about you guys, but I heard a lot of response yesterday. And again, thank you to Matt Conti and Christian Edwards from the Colts and helping get Paris Campbell on the show. Paris Campbell is outstanding. On, on all the subjects I thought we threw at him of his own story, everything he's been through. Uh, Matt Ryan's impact, and then fielding those coaching questions. I mean, that's not easy. And how many athletes, Jake, particularly in-season, in-season phone interviews with athletes, it can be really canned. It can be really just kind of like, ah, we're going through the motions. Honestly, we're just doing it to kind of have a name on the show. Uh, You know, full transparency, that's probably some of it. And when I was told that, you know, Campbell would become – Coming on the show, I was like, great, you know, because I, I think there was a potential for him to be very honest and upfront about it. And I thought he handled it in a really, really nice way. All of those topics. Yeah. And if you guys missed that yesterday at nine o'clock, we will play some of those clips coming up. Yeah, it was. I had not talked a lot with Paris Campbell other than the few seconds from when we played the knockout game with him at the at Gambridge Fieldhouse. And he was not only was he very open and transparent, but 
considering it was the morning time, he had a good energy and was a fun personality. Which is about all you can ask, right? Exactly. When you have somebody on. Uh, Stephen Holder, 8 o'clock. Jeremiah Johnson, 9. And Mark, the new Fever coach to round out the show today? Christy Sides. Christy Sides going to join us at 9.45. I saw the Fever have the number one overall pick. I have not looked at mock drafts. Is Victoria Webanyama? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Available? (laughs) She's long. She's got great range. She can score from anywhere. Mm-hmm. She can shoot. Yep, absolutely. So she will be, um, the eyes for the fever will be on her as they try to rebuild things over there off of Delaware. All right, great Wednesday morning here on Kevin and Query. Again, Stephen Holder, talk a little cold. Stephen, um, I had some interesting insight into last week and Jeff Saturday, the offensive coordinator decision, Scott Milanovic, the QB coach. Um, saying no to that. We'll certainly talk to Shaquille or about Shaquille Leonard with Steven as well. So a lot to get to on today's show. Thank you for tuning in. Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5-1075, the fan. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan. Kevin, you had mentioned it last night. Purdue over Marquette, 75-70. Big win for the Boilers up in West Lafayette. And a big part of that, Zach Eady had 20-13, and 13, but Braden Smith. I like that Scott Skiles comparison you had mentioned earlier. He had yeah, 20 yesterday. Yeah, something that Matt Painter's thrown out there. Yeah, Braden Smith, outstanding. Big comeback for Purdue in the final 10 minutes. They were down 9 there to Marquette about midway through the second half. Looked like Shaka Smart was going to get it done again. Gets Matt Painter, but the defense ramped up. And Braden Smith with 20. Here was Matt Painter afterwards on the freshman from Westfield. He's a good player. He really hasn't played well up to this point. I know in the first game he had seven steals, but um, the way he's played in practice for us, he really hasn't put it together until this half. Um, but he's capable of doing that. He's capable of looking for a shot, knocking down threes, getting to the basket, and then obviously delivering the basketball. So, you know, he's a good player, and it just kind of shows you across the board. We all look at rankings and stars and all that kind of stuff, and they mean absolutely nothing because there's a lot of guys that played in this game right here on both teams you know that weren't four stars and weren't five stars that are really good college players last night champions classic it was michigan state and double ot over kentucky they win by nine kansas beats duke 69 64 have you seen louisville this season uh they've had some issues right they are zero and three losses to bellerman wright state and last night appalachian state yeah, that's not good. And that's after a coaching change, right? Yeah, Kenny Payne. So people are saying, you know, is it Kenny Payne or did he inherit a bad roster from Chris Mack? I, you know, what's going on, right? Now, I do like Louisville's floor. They've got they've gone back to the the little Duncan Cardinal fella. Did you like Purdue's unis last night? I like those. I did. Kind of an old school look, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if those are going to be part of the normal routine, but... Yeah, those are good. Uh, college football playoffs, we mentioned it. Georgia, number one in the land, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. That's how it sits right now. But those trying to punch their ticket in, Tennessee, LSU, USC, Alabama, Clemson, and Utah. That's how it rounds out in the top ten. Chirp, chirp, we got to wait another week, right? They lost last night to uh, Ohio. Yeah, 32-18 Ohio over Ball State. So to get bull eligible, it's going to take that final week of the regular season for Ball State. Tonight, again, Pacers-Hornets. Our coverage begins at 6.30 down in Charlotte. Looks like Tyrese Halliburton is good to go. Tweak that ankle a little bit um, against the Raptors on Saturday. No Gordon Hayward for the Hornets. 
Uh, Charlotte, just a slight favorite in this one. I forgot they got your guy, Mark Williams. How's he playing? I wonder. I think he's been more of a G-leaguer early on. Okay. My two favorite players in the NBA, Mark Williams and Bismack Biombo. You know why Mark Bismack Biombo is my favorite player? Because his name is Bismack Biombo. <laughs> his name is Bismack Biombo. Heck yeah. You see uh, Tyrese Halliburton leading the NBA in assists by like a lot. 10.3 assists per game for Halliburton. Yeah, that's that's impressive. He's got a weird looking shot. I will say that. He's got a weird looking shot. It goes He's in. Nice player. It does. Pacers 6-6 six and six on the season. Uh, we come back. We will talk more about the Colts, including taking a look back at Paris Campbell yesterday. Interesting comments about the coaching change, among other things, and who might have been responsible for Frank Reich being shown the door. We'll get into that, and we'll talk more about the horseshoe on this Wednesday edition. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin, I did my part. I forwarded the Paris Campbell sound clip from yesterday when we asked him about Campbell's soup. And he said that it's been a childhood dream of his to do a Campbell's commercial. So I took that clip of him talking about it and on Twitter attached the Campbell's soup folks. Look at you. Yeah. Haven't heard back yet. Crickets? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Tell you what, Paris Campbell continues to play like this. Um, not only could Campbell's be calling, but he's going to garner a pretty nice second contract. And again, that's not something I thought I would be saying at the start of the season. But his health and just the types of plays he's made, um, especially late, and that's something we talked about in the interview with him, um, it's not just the possession stuff. It's a little bit more of the big play, him creating on his own after the catch. I thought Campbell was incredibly honest with us yesterday let's play a clip mark um just the jeff saturday tone of paris campbell's thoughts um again it's just been a week but this was campbell yesterday uh what jeff saturday has brought to the colts i know it's only been a week but what have you thought about the tone um that jeff saturday has brought to your football team man i've loved it i've absolutely 100 percent loved it um he just brings a different level of accountability um, just each and every day, man. Like, he, number one is he, he's going to keep it 100% with you. Like, he's going to tell you the real. And um, just the way that he holds each each and every player accountable, no matter if you're the, the top of the roster or you're the bottom of the roster, like, everyone has a job to do. And he's going to let you know if you're if you're failing to do your job or if you're doing a good job. You know what I mean? Um, and, like, one thing that I appreciated about Jeff is, like, he came in day one, and he, he just being himself, man. Like, he's not trying to be someone he's not. Um, he he's that fire. You can see that that fiery player that he used to be. You can see that just kind of coming back out, just with his passion for the game. Um, and you can truly tell that he wants us to succeed, to, wants us to succeed, and wants us to win. And um, you know, he just brings a different level of passion, different level of accountability to to the team. So I I appreciate it. I love it. Interesting comment there, where Jeff Saturday has just been himself, right? He's not come in and tried to be somebody other than himself. 
There is a level, you know, for a Jeff Saturday, you can come in and do that more so than if they'd elevated or brought somebody in. You know, let's say they, they brought somebody in that was, you know, Ted Lasso. Like, wait, what? Who's this guy? And and that, you have coaches that come in, Kevin, I think early in a tenure, and they're trying to prove themselves, and right. they're a little uh-huh. up front, and there's like a toxic masculinity of like, I'm the alpha, I'm in yeah. charge. You guys stink. I'm here for a reason. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Saturday, like, hey, you guys know who I am. Like, let's just go, you know? And all of the interactions that I've had with them, Jake, and I'm sure you would echo this, it's the initial genuine nature that is so real. I mean, I think we feel it every time he's been on our show. Um, And I think he addressed the elephant in the room right away. You guys have heard me talk about the transparent word that some players mentioned. And that was really needed, I think, because... Jeff got it. You know, he he asked Jim Irsay, wait, why are you hiring me? And that kind of helped ease some things. I thought a couple other of you know, points that Campbell made there. Um, he said something to us at one point in the interview, Jake, where it's probably a combination of two things. We probably needed a different voice, and any voice would have provided some sort of jolt. But I also think we needed his type of voice, a different sort of leader, a little bit more loud, you know, a little bit louder, a little bit of a different sound to it. I'm sure the offensive line background helps out. I'm sure his background within the organization, just kind of his, um, you know, passion for this football team probably helps out. So I think it is twofold, you know, and we see this around the NFL. Anytime you have a an interim, you know, you can point to that initial sort of jolt. But I also think the type of leader that Saturday is, the way he carries himself, how it is a bit of a 180 from Frank Reich, right or wrong, um, I think that is something the Colts have benefited from. Kevin, who is the most respected former player in the NFL, in, in football? that players that are currently playing would have seen play when they were growing up. So in other words, I'm not saying, you know, Roger Staubach. I mean, I, you know, there's not a player in the NFL that saw Roger Staubach play. There's not a player that saw Joe Montana play. So among players who have retired recently enough that guys in the NFL saw them when they were playing, who is the most respected? What? Who is the creme de la creme? I mean, would Peyton? Correct. And when it comes to Jeff Saturday, not only is every player in that locker room going to know who he is because of the fact that he's been on ESPN, but he's been a fairly consistent presence around the franchise in general to begin with. But this is different than, hey, we're bringing in a play. Like, I wonder how how many guys that played for Tony Dungy, who was a very well-respected guy, don't get me wrong, but how many players even realized that Tony Dungy was an NFL player? You know, Tony Dungy didn't lean on the fact that he was a former player. For the players in that locker room with Jeff Saturday, not only can he just be – he can just be himself because he doesn't have to prove anything in terms of his resume because every player in that locker room knows – if they don't remember watching Jeff Saturday play, they absolutely know that he is the guy that was literally the on-field eyes, ears, and lieutenant of Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Not 
Boomer Esiason, not Ryan Fitzpatrick, Peyton Manning. Like this is so. Yeah, this guy, man, he he knows what he's talking about because I mean he he was the eyes and ears for Peyton. He worked with Peyton. He was in the rooms with Peyton. It gives him a credibility that players automatically are going to just naturally defer to that then allows Jeff Saturday to just be himself and not have to come in and pull the whole, like, let me tell you what I've done in this league. They already know that, right? Now, in terms of that change, question then becomes, Frank Reich is also a guy. Like, Frank Reich, he is one that probably a lot of guys don't realize he played in the league. I mean, they know, but you get what I'm saying there. But was the change necessary from the locker room standpoint from Frank Reich to anyone else? Here's Paris Campbell. Were you surprised by the coaching change? Um, to be honest with you, uh, no, because of just how the season, you know, how, how the season was going. Um, and to be honest, like, I, I still, like, feel that the players had something to do with that coaching change, you know what I mean? Just because at the end of the day, like, you know what I'm saying, anyone can lose their job in, the, in this profession, and at the end of the day, like, it's about winning. And if you're not doing that, um, then, you know, there's, there's bound up, you know, for bad stuff to happen. So, and just the way, like, that we were losing, you know what I mean? We were losing some close games. And then to go out <clears throat> in New, New England and just have, you know, that bad of an offensive performance, um, I just figured some type of change would come because I'm not, you know what I'm saying, I'm not naive to the nature of the business. Was it needed? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that it was needed, um, you know what I mean, because, you know, I'm not the one that's, you know, in that chair making those decisions. Um, all I can do is continue to, you know, play my 111th on the field, uh, continue to do my job, uh, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who, you know, has the head coaching job. Like, I, like as players, we're, we're like I said, we're professionals. Uh, so we got to come to work regardless. And at the end of the day, our job is to do our job, <clears throat> make sure we're doing it to the best of our ability, and I, at the end of the day, get wins. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter who's at the head coaching helm. Like, we, we've got to come to work regardless. I thought something Tony Dungy mentioned yesterday, Jake, that was interesting with us is, you know, Jeff Saturday's offensive line background, he was able to go into the building last week and call out that unit, and it's not going to fall on deaf ears. Like, they're going to say, hey, you know, this guy has actually watched us a little bit recently as well. Right. He's played in this building. I know it might sound cheesy. I think the Jeff Saturday, Peyton Manning sideline clip, I think that resonates a little bit. I would agree with that. Inside of the locker room. I would agree with that. And... I just feel like you add up all of that, and there's a reason why the Colts reacted in the way they did. Now, without question, when you play the Las Vegas Raiders, oh man, that's a dream scenario for Jeff Saturday in his first game. What would it look like if you would have played the Patriots the week prior? Or, you know, we'll see on Sunday against the Eagles. Those are obviously questions, um, or at least the Eagles one will be answered a bit on Sunday. Um, But I just think it was time. It was time, and I think Campbell did a great job yesterday in saying, we're at fault too, but I also think that a new voice was welcomed. Hypothetically, which is probably ridiculous because hypothetical means we don't have to worry about it, but hypothetically, Colts had played decent in New England and lost you know, 21-20. They then turned around and looked flat and lose to the Raiders. Does Jim say make this coaching change with Philadelphia next on the docket? Or does the fact that they had a team that was equally hapless in the Raiders give him the flexibility of schedule to make a change 
and get a guy in that can get his feet underneath him. No, I think you would have made it. If you had that level of performance against the Raiders, yeah. that would have been embarrassing. I mean, that it was for Jim Mercer to make that move. I think it was just a. I don't even think he was paying any attention to who was on the schedule. I want to read you something that somebody sent me this morning. Uh, really early this morning, by the way. Uh, Jake, good morning. I listen to your show every day as part of the podcast. I'd like to know why no one has mentioned that maybe benching Matt Ryan was a good thing and actually a form of accountability in the form it was saying, if you aren't playing well, you're going to sit no matter who you are. Maybe that benching, benching made him focus on the details of operation and other players saw the message. Your thoughts? You know, Jim Mercer wanted Matt Ryan benched a lot earlier than he was. So I, I am not going to give credit to that and say that it sent some message and it gave the Colts the best chance to win in the short term. Um, I understand where the question's coming from. And obviously, Matt Ryan had um, some major, major issues that, especially with protecting the football, but I, I, I don't, I, I think it's given way too much credit to act like that was the necessary move in trying to win now. Trying to create the best win now product on the football field. Um, I don't think that was the case with that move. Is there any chance that Jim Mersey knew that he wanted to make a coaching change but needed to secure that that was going to be acceptable amongst the masses by them not pl- by them having games where they did not perform well and he knew that quarterback would be the area where that would take place was putting Sam Ellinger in in Jim Mercer's eyes a win-win because it gave him an opportunity to see a young quarterback that he wanted to evaluate while at the same time undercutting a head coach that no, he was looking that to seems replace really shady I, I'm going to say no. Ursay thought Sam Ellinger in the short term gave the Colts the best chance to win. You were rolling your eyes there. I understand wanting to see a young player and evaluate him. But if in this point in the year, based on the way they were playing, you thought a guy that had never taken an NFL snap was your best chance to win, that's either an indictment on your timing of your evaluation process or whoever it is that's putting together your roster the guy's a winner he was just done he was done with ryan i mean think about it jake he had that jacksonville performance where the Colts scored 38 points yeah and yet a week later they don't play well in tennessee and he's done with them then it's again we're trying to put ourselves into jim ursay's decision making brain (laughs) uh good luck would probably be the answer to that. John was curious if Patrick or if uh, Paris Campbell could be a candidate for comeback player of the year. I I would say no. I got to think that's Derrick Henry or Dak Prescott or I don't know. Comeback player of the year has always been kind of murky for me. Of like you know how much does a guy need to miss time to qualify for that? I, I don't rule out Carson Wentz, baby. It would be uh, Prescott or Henry. Although he's Maybe coming I'm, back from his own ineptitude. Maybe I'm forgetting somebody on that front. I see a lot of people are, well, not not a lot, but I saw the chatter yesterday. Did you see um, people were taking pictures of the Lakers GM? Oh, yeah. In the a lot of speculation on that. 
Rob Palinka being seen in the airport. Look, he's boarding a plane for Indy. He's wearing sweats. He's got good hair. On his way, going to make a deal, wheeling and dealing. I guess two things. Did no Rob's one realize? wheeling and dealing. The Champions Classic was here. Yeah. I would say easily the biggest one-night like, college basketball showcase of NBA talent all year. Correct. And then two, the Pacers are in Charlotte. Correct. <laughs> Who would he be meeting with? Correct. Even if that was going to take place. Well, there was something with the mall across the street. There were 70 scouts or something there, right? Yeah, I would guess a big, big number. All right, Stephen Holder joins us in a few here. Kevin and Corey. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake, a lot of people are mentioning Geno Smith for Comeback Player of the Year. I was talking with you in the break about this. I'm always torn on, like, what is Comeback Player of the Year? Is it... You're coming back from an injury, or you're coming back from not being very good. Right. No, you're right. And Mark, mm. y- you brought up a name that probably should be atop the list now that I think about it more. Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Dak Prescott, like from an injury standpoint. Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I, I, I would think those would qualify in that area. But um, still, Paris Campbell, obviously. Uh, pretty great story. And... Uh, Enjoyed that conversation with him yesterday. By the way, where is Campbell's soup based? <clears throat> Lima, Ohio. Is that it? <laughs> I have no Going idea. Going Lima, Ohio. You got a guess there? Uh... No, I don't. Or... I've never never contemplated it. Because if we're going to get Paris Campbell a, a soup deal, we need to know who we're dealing with. Camden, there. New Jersey. Is that it? That's what it says. Oh, okay. They do have a um, supply company in Ohio. That's Dewan Campbell Wagner. Campbell's soup sometime. headquarters is Camden, New Jersey. There okay. you go. Well, we need to get the Campbell Soup folks on the line to let them know that Paris Campbell's dream is to be a soup Don't spokesperson. Don't the Colts play the Giants? New Jersey's right over there. Yeah, little New Year's Day stop. There you go. Uh, this Our next guest will be there on New Year's Day. He just got back from Las Vegas. He is Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, I want to begin on the Shaquille Leonard front. I, I feel like there's a lot of areas you could go with this. Obviously... His own health. He's now coming back, going to have to come back from a second back surgery here in five months. Um, How effective does he look moving forward? Do we think about his career? And then I just think linebacker in general, they've got a lot of questions entering this offseason with Bobby Okereke and EJ Speed as free agents. Um, This position all of a sudden has risen to a lot, a lot of uncertainty there. And I don't think we've ever really said that in the Chris Boward era because it's been pretty stable throughout. Yeah, um, well, well, first, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation because I have always wondered where Campbell Soup headquarters thank was. Thank you, Stephen. So, See, that's the thing. Educate and entertain. Just a tick of sarcasm and with Stephen Holder a there. Sarcasm there. To start this Wednesday morning. No sarcasm so, at all from Stephen. On, on the linebackers, I, I think what you just outlined is basically three of their top four guys at that position uh, about whom there are questions. So that's a problem, and you're right. They have drafted really well, and it hasn't ever really been a question. They've just rolled guys through, and and then they've never really fallen off. I mean, I I think this year in particular demonstrates that, right? With with Shaq Leonard barely seeing the field, there has not been a drop-off at all. But they have had to make a couple of decisions at that position. We saw this with Anthony Walker a couple years ago, and – he he was playing on a part-time basis. There, you know, it was musical chairs at that point. 
and he wanted to be the guy somewhere else. He was able to go to Cleveland and and become one of their core defensive players. But that's because, but that's when they had everything lined up behind him. Now they don't have that. Uh, so I, I do think I do agree with you. I do think it impacts how they move forward at that position. I think Okereke in particular, I've changed my stance on him. I thought coming into this season, I thought he was a little bit of a tease. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, I, I think certainly a guy with a lot of talent, a guy with playmaking ability, but I never saw it on a consistent basis. I, and I was kind of disappointed just in terms of the consistency. This year, I think he's been more consistent and we're seeing more playmaking. We talked about this earlier, Stephen. Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN.com, but I want to get your opinion on it. With Shaquille Leonard and this latest development, what is your level of concern that this is career-threatening and not just something that ends this season for him, obviously? Well, it's just so hard to know, but I, I do think that you have to have some concern. I mean, I don't have all the information. is a problem, right? None of us do, but two back surgeries in five months, it, it, it doesn't, I wouldn't be sleeping well, right? I mean, I don't think any of us would. I mean, one back surgery would, would knock me out, okay? <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend. Uh, this is his second, uh, and it's it, it's addressing the problem that, that apparently wasn't completely fixed the first time. And And here's why it's concerning. Another reason, I guess, it's concerning is because we were told that it was fixed the first time. It, that was supposed to be the game changer. And and I get it. Medicine is hard. So, I, you know, I don't want people out there saying, ah, they lied. No, I mean, medicine's hard, man. And, and this is a very, very, very complicated issue he's been dealing with. And we know that because of the length of the length of time he's been dealing with this and, and how difficult it's been for the doctors to pin it down. So all that being said, though, uh, th- that is also reason why you know it, it gives you some concern because it has been such a delicate thing for for them to to figure out and yeah I think it's fair to to raise questions and have questions. And Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, from your conversations, you know, post game in Vegas or you know last week in the locker room, where do you think this team has felt Jeff Saturday's impact the most? I think it was undeniable. I think it was in his. Uh, it, it wasn't the X's and O's. It wasn't like he waved the magic wand on the offensive line. It, was, it wasn't any of that. It was he gave them some juice and some belief. And now I will caution people, and I, I think Jeff Saturday himself, which I give him a lot of credit for, he himself said, that ain't enough, <laughs> okay? That ain't going to sustain you. Because if they would have gone out there and got their doors blown off, who the hell cares that they had some energy during the week, right? They have to sustain it. At the end of the day, your players got to beat the other players, and, and that's what happened ultimately. However, however, I do think that that a reset helped them, and he was really the biggest part of that reset. Uh, and I give Jeff a lot of credit for, for uh, and I've written this as well, I give him a lot of credit for the way he handled things. He cannot get enough credit for that. Uh, I want to say this very, very specifically. He came in understanding just what a what a you know sort of a, a messy situation this was. Let's just call it what it was. The whole thing was sloppy, in my opinion. Okay, the way it was handled and just just the unexpected nature of it. It was it was it was kind of messy. It is what it is. And Jeff, to his credit, is smart enough and sensitive enough to understand that. 
and came in and said, all right, guys, look, I'm just me. I'm going to do what I know how to do, which is, you know, get the, get in there and, and see what I see and offer help where I can. But I'm also not going to come in here and reinvent the wheel because that would have been the worst thing he could do. So anyway, I'll wrap it up. But he has, the way he handled this, say what you want about the decisions that were made, right? But the way Jeff handled this, I think, was absolutely off the charts. Stephen, looking at Jeff Saturday in the post-game celebration in Las Vegas, Jim Mercer clearly was elated. That energy that Saturday brings was very, you know, it was noticeable, right? You could tell that players were feeding off of it and they were jazzed and, and you, you know, you could hear Saturday's energy. And yet... I've seen the rounds. I've seen people share it out and about that in that video and the still shots of it in particular, it literally was like, you know, 60 people that were celebrating and one guy in Chris Ballard looking like he didn't want to be there. And that's unfair to just take a snippet and say, and, and make an immediate call on what Chris Ballard's emotions were. But in your opinion, your observation, people you've talked to, whatever it may be, is Chris Ballard finding himself in an uncomfortable situation? Well, look, it's hard to psychoanalyze him, right? And and he also, just for the record, put this out there, he's a really stoic kind of guy, right? I mean, so so it's not unusual for him to be that way. That being said, look, we all saw that press conference. <laughs> I mean, look, just the optics of it were he looked like he wanted to be anywhere on the planet but there. And, and and here's what we do know about Chris Ballard. He is a guy who who takes great pride in being in control. And he, he's kind of a, a, a dominant leader. And I don't mean he's a jerk. I don't mean that. What I mean is, you know he's in charge, okay? Like, go back and watch the, uh, the with the next pick videos that the team puts out every draft season. I think you, you get a very good sense of, for his personality in there. He's a guy who, who empowers the people around him. He, he really does, and people like working for him. I will, I will say that is a thousand percent true. But he also carries himself with a little swagger, man. You know, he's kind of a, a cocky SOB, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, I do think when you factor in who he is and how he operates, and then you, you, you sort of contrast that, against what is currently happening, which is decisions were taken out of his hands to the best that we can decipher, well, it leads to some questions, doesn't it? And Stephen Holder is with us, ESPN.com. Looking ahead to Sunday, Stephen, um, you think Nick Sirianni calls Frank Reich this week? And do you think Frank Reich entertains that call? <laughs> uh, good question. I don't know. Um I, I, I guess it's certainly possible. I mean, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a very good question. I think I think the question, the bigger question, is what does Frank Reich do in a situation like that? Now, Nick may may not want to put him in that position. You know what I mean? And and Frank is is a guy with a lot of dignity, right? And obviously close with Parks Frazier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Parks is and, and his wife Carolyn, as we all know them very well, right? I mean, they are like family to Frank Wright. You know what I mean? Like literally like family. Yeah, officiated okay. their wedding. Officiated their wedding. I mean, he has counseled them 
uh, throughout their marriage. I mean, like this guy, he's not just like you know the boss. He he wasn't just their bo- his boss. He was he was like a, like a father figure. Okay, I don't. I, I want people to understand like the depth of that relationship. So I I think it would really be awkward for Frank. Um, and and I think at the end of the day, look, Nick Nick helped build that offense. You know, and and Parks was there sitting right next to him the whole time. So I don't know that he needs a lot of help necessarily, you know. Now, certainly with with Matt Ryan, and you know, they have a different quarterback and some different skill players and such. So it's not exactly the same, but but philosophically it is the same. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator in Philly, he was yeah. the DB coach um, in the Frank Reich era as well. So a lot of I, I staff think a, familiarity. It's a big challenge for for the Colts. I mean, I, I don't think it helps. It, right. it certainly, it certainly complicates this for them. I mean, uh, and then Philly coming off a loss too. So I mean, yeah, this is this is complicated for the Colts. I, I do think Monday night it, it certainly showed a blueprint, and honestly, yeah. it's a blueprint, Stephen, that the Colts have utilized before against these types of teams. You know, you go back yeah. to Kansas City in 2019. You go back to Buffalo last year. The high-powered offenses playing keep away. Pounding it with Marlon Mack and Arrowhead, pounding it with Jonathan Taylor last year in Buffalo. They have executed, you know, the ideal blueprint against these teams. The question I guess I have now is was last week simply the ultimate recipe to get out of a slump and playing the Raiders and playing a team that was much more dysfunctional than you? Um, because if you look at Philly's track record this season, the run defense has been the one glaring issue. For them, so I'm very, very curious to see how that plays out because, again, in past years the Colts have the blueprint, haven't really shown it this year. Showed it a little bit last week. Now, can you do it uh, for a second straight week against an opponent that has struggled against the run, but still is not going to be, you know, chirping at each other after every play like the Raiders were last week? Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, okay, not to take any credit away, but my God, the Raiders, I was stunned. <laughs> they are terrible. Uh, I mean, it's a sad excuse for a football team right now. I can't believe how bad they are. Uh, you know, Derek Carr is up there crying. I'd be crying too because they <laughs> suck. <laughs> okay, and they have like three or four dudes that are like one of the arguably the best player <laughs> at those position. respective positions. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's incredible. But that being said, uh, I, I agree with you. I do think the, the Colts they know how to pull this off. The question is, can they do it? I mean, you know, they have maybe a slight. I don't even know if, it's, if edge is the right word, but they may have a somewhat favorable matchup if if what we saw from their offensive line last week was real. But let's see, right? I, I don't I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I, I want to see it for more than one week. And the the Raiders, by the way, the absolute worst pass rushing team in the entire NFL, right? So so some of what we saw from the offensive line, you have to take that into consideration. So, I mean, you know, people may not want to hear it, but it is what it is, right? This game is going to tell us a lot more. But I do agree with the blueprint, and we'll see. I I think the the Colts have a little bit going for them, too, because they know Nick as well, even though he's not calling the plays. But but philosophically, on the other side, you know, some of their run schemes and such, uh, a lot of that will will have ties to what the Colts did as well, I I would say. So just to throw that in there. Steven, I'm – and maybe I dwell, I know this will stun you, Stephen. That sometimes I dwell on things. And, that doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> so I've been dwelling on this whole. 
I, I feel like five years from now, we're going to say, do you remember that time when the Colts, like, they, they made a move in the middle of the year and they put Sam Ellinger out there for two games and then all of a sudden they went back to Matt Ryan and, like, and then Sam Ellinger joined Scott Tolzien in the annals of Colts history? I don't know that Ooh. that's the future for Sam Ellinger, but did they see enough to be able to make a long-term decision on him? And if they didn't, when do they revisit that experiment again? And does Jimmer say now toss and turn over why he wasted two weeks? I mean, what all went on there? Unbelievable, right? Um, I think to your first question, did they see enough to to decide who he is? Uh, I've always felt like Sam Ellinger is a, I think the upside with him, or the ceiling, I guess, is long-term backup quarterback. That is what I have always personally seen. And I know that people within the organization have kind of thought that as well. Now, that can change, but did we see anything in the last couple of weeks that that suggests that that outlook should change? I say no. I, I think that you you also, for, for all that we saw excuse me, against Washington, you know, which was certainly some smart playmaking and such, right, and and some some decent running. For all that we saw there, you know, we also saw all of his limitations against the Patriots. You know, it, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He isn't the biggest guy. You know, he And he's still a young quarterback, so his processing isn't where it needs to be either. So I think – Factoring in his inexperience and his physical limitations, he's not the guy. And I think you know that from, from the last couple of weeks. Again, he can change from an experience standpoint. You cannot change from a skill standpoint for the most part, You know, even though he has improved his arm strength to his great credit. Uh, in terms of what went on there, and, and will they regret that? I mean, I, they should. Uh, the only thing I would say is what we, what we may never know is, is whether Matt Ryan – could have played either of those games. I mean, Frank Reich did say the week of the Washington game, by midweek he was saying, well, you know, after all that, Matt's made a lot of progress, and who knows, he might have found a way to play. You know, and I don't know if that was a throwaway line or if that was real. But, but didn't they say, Stephen, that this was this move was made regardless well, of health status? Yeah, they did, right. I, I mean, it was ridiculous then, it's ridiculous now, is what I'll say. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, it, it made no sense. And, and knowing personally how Frank Reich felt about Matt Ryan, there's no way he would have done that. And I've had people within the organization who have told me this has to be so, influenced by somewhere else. This is me grasping, you know, whatever. But so my question is this, Stephen, if you are the owner of a football team, the two most important people within your organization to help you win are probably your head coach and your quarterback, correct? Yes. And a decision was made by both of those players, or excuse me, by both of those individuals within a three-week span of one another from the owner without consultation seemingly of the general manager, correct? Uh, from all from all appearances, yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, can we, can we say with any certainty that that they were unilateral? I, no, I can't say that for sure, but certainly they were driven by the owner. Yes, 100%. Again, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com.
Com. Steven, I know it's been a busy, certainly a busy like eight or nine days. Honestly, it's been oh a crazy year, to say the least. Um, so at least got a home game coming up this Sunday and then a little bit of a longer week leading into Pittsburgh. So thank you for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. All right, guys. Talk soon. Steven Holder right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. I think going back to the Leonard question, Jake, and I know we let off the show with this, like you can't ignore the career questions with his situation right now. I mean, we're talking multiple back surgeries for an undersized linebacker. And again, it's a medical field. I certainly don't know. I I, I know very little, but just look at it in that light. And even if you want to go to like the next run on the ladder, if he wants to continue to keep playing, which I expect him to try and keep playing, how effective is he going to be? Because the Leonard we saw this season, Jake, was not better than any of the linebackers the Colts have been playing this year. Right. And when you look at his contract, I mean, the earliest out is like after 2024 in terms of, you know, not a huge financial hit. It's, It's unfortunate because so much of it is out of his control, arguably all of it, but it's looking like a very bad contract. Aaron raised an interesting point, and I can never pronounce this guy's last name, so I'm just going to ask you to do it for me. It's like a mental hurdle to me. Luke, Carolina, longtime linebacker, dynamic playmaker. Luke. Keekly? Keekly. I, I, I always want to say, I don't know why. I, I realize that anyway, regardless, Aaron said that's who Shaquille Leonard reminds me of. In the way that he plays, being everywhere on the field, forcing turnovers, that's a good call. But Luke Keekly, look at that one. That's another player that body just broke down, right? Yeah. And retired early. Right. Um, I mean, the, the human body is not necessarily always designed to be front and center in a collision sport, unfortunately. And I think we have to throw in the 215-pound linebacker and multiple back surgeries. And now this is an injury situation that has not had a – I guess it sounds like I'm ripping the Colts medical team. I'm not trying to. This has had – they have not been able to properly handle this for over a year. They haven't gotten a hold of it. Right. right. I mean, he had ankle surgery last June. Think about that. When you have an ankle surgery a month and a half before training camp last year, and then you have a back surgery a month and a half before training camp this year, typically you have that stuff done January, February. You right. get it all done early in the offseason. Um, so I think that just kind of adds to how and it, Kevin- murky... And weird and unfortunately, again, career questioning this injury is. You've got to feel for Shaquille Leonard. Oh, because the, the frustration's gotta be just I, I mean Through the roof. Yeah. We've all had, you know, things that have gone on where you thought, Well, I finally found the answer. Now I know what the answer is, and then you know, something recurs and you're like, Oh my goodness, I, I thought I was done with this. I thought I was done having to worry about it. You feel bad for him. And that's where I just don't think it's exactly comparable to Andrew Luck. I, I, I just think Leonard's drive and desire and the thing with Luck is I just felt like he got to a point where the sacrifice of playing the game of football started to impact other parts of his life and he didn't like that. And he didn't want to continue down that path. Leonard, I feel like, is a guy that will try and try and try to continue to play Longer, frankly, than Andrew. Now, we'll see. Again, this back surgery is uh, much more complicated of an injury situation I think Luck was dealing with. Um, But I think it's the smartest thing to do. Try and get him, what, now nine months of recovery 
and see see where he's at uh, come next offseason. Uh, time for a checkdown. Yes. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Speaking of basketball, it's not Ball State, but college basketball within the area. Purdue, Marquette, 75-70 Boilers win last night. Zach Eady with 20 and 13. You also had Braden Smith who had 20 points. We talked about this earlier, but the young point guard out of Westfield, the Mr. Basketball, who Matt Painter said has kind of a Scott Skiles tenacity about him. Um, took him a while to get going, but as Coach Painter talked about last night after the game, Braden Smith starting to find his group perhaps with the Boilers. He's a good player. He really hasn't played well up to this point. I know in the first game he had seven steals, but um, the way he's played in practice for us, he really hasn't put it together until this half. Um, but he's capable of doing that. He's capable of looking for a shot, knocking down threes, getting to the basket, and then obviously delivering the basketball. So, you know, he's a good player, and it just kind of shows you across the board. We all look at rankings and stars and all that kind of stuff and they mean absolutely nothing because there's a lot of guys that played in this game right here on both teams you know that weren't four stars and weren't five stars that are really good college players some shaky second half moments for Purdue last night they were down nine but closed the game defensive end of the floor outstanding the final 10 minutes so they beat Marquette I was surprised to see Marquette was preseason ranked ninth in the Big East watching them last night I'm like really they're that low in the Big East, a Champions Classic, Michigan State in double overtime over Kentucky. They had uncontested dunks to force it into each overtime there and then pulled away with uh, Oscar Sheeway, Kentucky's best player, on the bench due to fouling out. Kansas beats Duke 69-64. We mentioned it earlier, Jake. Louisville is 0-3 on the wow. year with new coach Kenny Payne. Their losses to Bellarmine, Wright State, and Appalachian State. I mean, that's almost like in descending order, isn't it? Like, who's next? (laughs) In terms of, like, program respect or program prestige? (laughs) Right. Now, the Bellarmine one hurts the most, right? Someone was saying that Bellarmine plays in the old Freedom Hall? I think that's correct. They're inner-city rivals, right? (laughs) Something like that. Uh, College football, the playoff rankings. Georgia, number one, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. If the season were to end and the playoffs were to begin right now, well, that's not going to happen, so what does it matter? Those are the four, though, that would be representative. Those are the four unbeatens, of course, followed by Tennessee, LSU, USC, Alabama, Clemson, and Utah. The Utes at 10th, like nobody talks about Utah. And they beat USC earlier in the year. Again, I still don't think they have the schedule the rest of the way to try and you know, climb above all those teams. Right. USC has a little bit more ammo on their schedule, but yeah, that is um, that is kind of a quiet team. Boy, that Clemson <laughs> that Clemson drubbing to Notre Dame, who is 18th now, really hurt them. What they've got to hope for, not that anybody here cares about Clemson, but uh, I'll mention it anyway. If Notre Dame beats USC, that helps Clemson because not only is USC in front of Clemson, but also it improves, if you will, or softens the blow of that loss to Notre Dame. Uh, tonight, down in Charlotte, it'll be the Pacers and the Hornets. Gordon Hayward, you talk about a guy that I always feel like is dealing with injuries. Uh, you're not kidding, man. Gordon Hayward out tonight due to a shoulder issue. LaMelo Ball should play. He's been out for a large chunk of Charlotte's season. Uh, but made his debut the other night. Uh, Jake, they are four and eleven on the year. Charlotte. They started three and three, lost eight straight, and then beat the Magic on Monday. Does this qualify as like a road game that I need? 
I think you need any game for your quest for... Th- is it 30 you need? 30. Six and six so far. <laughs> Such yeah. a degenerate. Excuse me? Such a degenerate. Mark, I think I'm just trying to provide a little entertainment. I think maybe some of your ad reads Mark, I'm glad to know you're that. here this morning. That's where, true. where have you been? All I'm of a sudden here. You just jumped in. Were you nodding off over there? No. Suddenly you just perked time. up with a derogatory comment about derogatory. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for backing me on that. Yeah, Jake. no problem. I appreciate oh, that. By the so way, you put one eight hundred nine with it, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> the Colts' first practice of the week is later today. A one injury note, non Shaquille Leonard related. Curious about Quiddy Pay's status. That ankle injury from Sunday. Um, he is a guy that this defense, I think, really needs right now. Tyquan Lewis, of course, out for the year. Uh, did Quiddy activate or uh, aggravate that injury? On Sunday, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, and the Eagles, we mentioned this yesterday. They had a couple guys banged up in the Monday nighter. Uh, no Dallas Goddard, one of the best tight ends yeah, in the he's NFL. Good player. He will not be playing for the Eagles this Sunday. Their first injury report on a short week. Um, I think let's keep an eye on that because I think that's one advantage the Colts do have. Short week, and it seemed like Philly got banged up on Monday. Mark, I noticed you don't bring cereal in anymore. I are don't. you? Are, what, are you doing like the intermittent do like, fasting? What are we going? No, I do uh, the uh, cereal know, bars. Yeah, like the bar, like you know, whether it's a Nutrigrain bar, or granola bar, something like that. That's what you do now. Switching it up, yeah. Are you are you are you lactose intolerant? Are you taking no. milk out of the- oh, no, I'm not. Are you getting all the cereal I consume? Do you think I'm lactose intolerant? Well, but but I, you're shifting away from cereals. Just a little bit, it. yeah. It's trying something new. By the way, Jonathan Taylor, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Do you know why Notre Dame doesn't eat cereal? Why? They keep losing their bowls. Wow. So you just backed up Kevin, then you just backed up over him with your car. I hate both of you. <laughs> I'm not even sending it to a break. You guys send it to a he break. Hasn't even sent it, he hasn't even given us the invite to Basbo's tonight. So That's right. Basbo for Kevin's mom's birthday dinner, right? Isn't that right? But it's carryout, Mark. Happy did birthday, you Mom. He, did you notice he said that? He threw in that it was carryout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Convenient. They're not They're not eating there. Right? Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys in five minutes. Uh, Jeremiah John. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Six and a half. Kevin, you mentioned something earlier this morning that I think is worth revisiting or simply visiting for the first time because we kind of glossed over it. But um, it is funny to me. I actually was kind of flattered by it from a Pacers standpoint. A lot of buzz generated by the fact that Rob Palenka, who is the, I don't know if he's president of the Lakers or general manager of the Lakers, but he's the um, the non-LeBron puzzle Maker. He does what LeBron says. For, that's right. For the Lakers, uh, there was someone snapped a photo of him at presumably LAX with the board behind him, you know, showing that he was flying to Indianapolis and people. And Buddy Heald, that's probably the part we should have thrown in. Buddy Heald replied on social media to the picture of Rob Palenka with like the emoji, I think, of, of eyeballs and like, you know, hey, oh. And people got all excited, and then it's like, listen, if you want to talk NBA farm team factories in college basketball over the last 10 years, the four programs that you would say probably are the four preeminent in terms of developing NBA talent 
would be, in no particular order, Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, Kentucky. Sure, there are others that all, you know, North Carolina and Michigan, you know, there, there are a lot of them. But those four being at Gamebridge Fieldhouse was essentially the ultimate showcase. It, it was literally like early January at the convention center with the new car show of all the new cars that are on display. It was the equivalent of that for NBA executives to overlook all of the talent that was playing in those two games last night. And presumably, and I don't know for certain that Rob Palenka was in the stands because I didn't look and I didn't see like a photo of him there, but there were a number of NBA personnel and scouts that were there that would lead you to believe that Rob Palenka was one of them. Correct. Uh, There's not a night in college basketball all season long where you'll have more NBA prospects in one venue um, than last night over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, not to mention the Pacers were already in Charlotte for their game tonight against the Hornets. And like, why do... you don't need to have these discussions in person either. You can easily do them over the phone, Zoom, right. insert, you know, whatever, Microsoft Teams, etc. One thing on the Buddy Heald front, and I guess this is kind of the Buddy Heald-Miles Turner dichotomy of the rest of the season, Jake. Basically, my thoughts on Turner will be this. If you get to early February, and for some reason... The Pacers still think there's an ounce of, hey, you know, we want to keep Miles. We want him to be our five moving forward. You literally hand him a contract extension. You say, all right, Miles, you sign it. And if you don't, we have no choice but to trade you because we need to get some return on you. The Buddy Heald one, I think, is interesting because he's been very durable throughout his career. I think his skill set, his greatest skill set is him as a shooter. That alleviates some of the stress on Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. And I also think the skill set, honestly, unlike Shaquille Leonard, Jake, the skill set of Buddy Heald as a shooter, I think is an attribute that can continue into his 30s. Like, I just think Leonard's athleticism and back surgery and 250 pounds of linebacker is naturally going to deteriorate. Right. Buddy Heald is not some high-flying athlete. Like, Victor Oladipo is a guy that I worried about late 20s into his 30s because his game is so predicated on high level, above the rim, attack it, reckless abandon, all that. Buddy Heald's not that at all. Buddy Heald's just going to be a sharpshooter until he's 40. Yeah, there are certain players, Kevin, that you look at in the NBA and you say to yourself, the second... Okay, Allen Iverson's a good example. Derek Rose was a good example of this. Allen Iverson for certain. Allen Iverson, I mean, unbelievable talent. But his talent was so based upon his first step that the second that first step went away, then all of a sudden, so much of what he brings to the table is erased. And in a Buddy Heald case, what you want, to your point, Kevin, is a guy that is not reliant upon that athleticism or that over-the-top athleticism to put him in position. And yes, you know, he, he theoretically will get his career will be elongated for that fact. The other thing about Buddy Heald that I I didn't know this about him when he came here and it's disingenuous for me to say that I'm out there like taking run with the players during practice, but I do watch pretty closely the I watch when guys check in and out of the game and I watch the way their teammates interact with them. 
and Buddy Heald does appear to be, Kevin, a guy that genuinely is liked by his teammates, and I think that those younger guys kind of lean on a little bit, to, to your point, not just from a minute standpoint, take some pressure off of them, but just in general, I think they do kind of look towards just the tone that he sets. Yeah, it get, that is something I certainly didn't know about him coming over from Sacramento. I do think there's probably an element of Buddy that says... I'm 30 years old. I've never played in a playoff game. And I forget the article at the start of the year, but I believe there was kind of a gentleman's agreement in place between the Pacers and Buddy Heald of, if we can move you, we will try to do that by the deadline. And you wonder if that weighs on him. You know, hey, I'm 30. I want to play in the playoffs. I haven't done that throughout my career at all. Never. Um, Isn't that crazy? Welcome to Sacramento, right? <laughs> I know. I'd like to live in Sacramento. Have you been to Sacramento? I don't even know if I've been. I, I, I'd have to look on a map, and you have to tell me, like, what's Oakland, what's Sacramento. I guess Sacramento's not even close to Oakland, now that I think about it, right? So, in, in Northern California, San Francisco. if you're looking at California, you go hard left, right? And you got the Bay Area there that has Oakland, and then across the bay is San Francisco. Okay, so I've been to both of those. So if you now if you're in that bay area, you take a left and you go to the ocean. If you take a right and you go back towards the middle of California, inland, you go I don't know 100 miles and Sacramento's right in the middle of that it's that, that area of land. Hmm. So it's halfway between the bay area and Tahoe. And basically, so I drove from the Bay Area. I went out for an IndyCar race and at Sonoma, and they canceled the Friday session. So I flew in Thursday night, and like literally as I landed, they're like, by the way, no practice, no track activity on Friday. So we had a free day. So I'm like, I'm going to go see Tahoe. So I got in my rental car, and I drove to Tahoe, and so you drive right through Sacramento. And basically, I think I drove past Castleton. I was driving, and and on the right was like dirt desert, and on the left was Castleton, and that was Sacramento. But I know that eight is enough took place there, and I just like the fact that it's it's for the most part warm, and they have an NBA team, and it's not the the wackiness of California, but it's still California, and they have a state capital, and I want to see every state capital. So I just think it'd be. A cool I grew place up on live. Carson Court, so I've always had an affinity for. Is that Carson, Nevada? Uh, Carson City, Nevada. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning, Kevin. So once I got to Tahoe, I thought, well, Car- it said Carson City was only another twenty nine miles, and I, and I thought, well, why not? Well, you go through the mountains, so it was twenty nine miles or like seventy five minutes, and then I got to Carson City and thought, well, now I'll go to Reno, and then I drove all the way up to Reno. And then I hooked a left, and I went across Donner Pass, and of course I had to stop and get something to eat, and then. Back to the Bay Area. Did a huge loop. Sean goes, I don't think we should trade Turner or Heald. You just have to hit again on the draft and then find one to two vets off the bench. I like our top six. I want to make this clear because I do think Sean brings up a good point. Turner is a definite asset to this basketball team, and he's a guy that you don't have this ready-made backup. I, I like Isaiah Jackson a lot. I don't think he can be an every-night starting five in the NBA. Um I think he can be a really important piece for you, but I don't think he's that. My issue with Turner is, if he's not going to sign a contract extension, you can't afford to keep him here. You, you cannot let him walk for nothing. And he's never That's been fair. a free agent. Whereas Buddy Heald's under contract for, I think, another season, maybe two more. So I think there's reasons to keep Buddy 
more than there are miles. That's the biggest thing with miles is early February rolls around. You hand them that contract extension. You say, Miles, I know we've had our, you know, it's like a seventh grade relationship. It's been, you know, you're broken up one day. They're going together. Yeah, you are. You are together the next and up and down and trials and tribulations, all of it. That will be the last ditch effort. Now, now, the- if Miles leaves, mm-hmm. if you do trade him, without question, Sean, I mean that that becomes a huge issue of where do you find that next starting five? I'd like to know how Buddy Heald became Buddy. His name is really Shavano Ranier. So does Boyle call him that? Because doesn't Boyle not not like nicknames? That is an excellent, excellent question. Shavano Ranier Heald. By the way, people are saying that Buddy was not replying to the Lakers Rob Palinka tweet. Lakers Twitter spliced that together from another tweet that Buddy was replying uh, to. Is that what it, okay, my apologies. I just saw the God, I, 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 I did love think Twitter, it was weird. But it sucks at some time. I, I did think it was weird. So that thank you for I, I appreciate people clarifying that. So my apologies for taking that bait. All the more reason where it's like, come on, man, people get all excited for nothing. You know what I mean? But I'd like to know how he came up with the name Buddy. Do you think, oh, wait a minute. Heald received his nickname from his mother after Bud Bundy on Married with Children. Okay, there we go. That seems like a... He has seven brothers and sisters. Like, do they are they all nicknamed after a TV character? Marge, get in here. His, his older brother Kramer just walked in the room. Mike goes, we can't half tank, Kevin. That's how we end up in purgatory of six to ten seeds. I, I, I guess maybe that's in reference to keeping Buddy over Miles. I just think Buddy can help the development of Halliburton and, and Matherin. I think that's that's important, too. And if he can shoot it at that level for three more years, Jake, that helps your basketball When you team. think, okay, regardless of Buddy Heald or Miles Turner. He is an elite shooter. If you think upper about upper quartile, is he in the upper quartile of the I, upper quartile? I mean, that's rare air. It's got to be rare air, right? <laughs> if you, that's rare air. Thank you, coach. If you really think about the Pacers in five years, if if they manage to lock everybody down, I mean, just the fact of Halliburton and Matherin, Hemhard's played well. Aaron Neesmith is a competent guy. You still need one major piece next year's draft. You do. You do for sure. And they're going to have a couple of picks and a couple of cracks at it. But I'm telling you, Miles Turner is one that I look at and think to myself, I don't know. He could be a really important part of that dynamic. But hasn't he expressed a desire to pursue opportunities elsewhere? I think Bob Kravitz is. is pretty plugged in, Jake, and he seems to be adamant that the Turner Pacers relationship will not continue after the season. Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, he's been a good he's been a good lieutenant here, and he's he's been a good guy in the community, and they have had plenty of opportunity to build a team around him that would make him want to stay, and they're kind of in rebuilding mode. So I would not harbor a an ounce of ill will at Miles Turner if he decided that he wants to go back home and play in Dallas sure. or he wants to go. I, I totally get it. Yeah, we got asked, do we know Buddy wants to leave? Seems like this team isn't the same team that he got dealt to a year ago. I would agree with that, but again, Jake, to the playoff point, I mean, he's never played in a playoff game. I don't think that's happening here anytime soon, so 
would that be of desire to him if he got traded to a legit contender at this point? I think throughout his, whatever, eight seasons in the league, he deserves that opportunity if presented. Um, all right, we'll continue the Pacers conversation with Jeremiah Johnson at 9 o'clock. We'll get back into a little Colts chatter next here on Kevin Corey. Breaking stuff over there? What, what are we doing? Look like Michael Pittman in the fourth <laughs> quarter here in these <laughs> recent games. What? <laughs> Um, all of a sudden, I heard this terrible crashing noise. You broke the mic like last a, week. Now you're breaking I'm the like head. I'm uh, like the fifth grade big kid you try to throw the ball into in the post. All right, Johnny fumbled it out of bounds again. I'm not throwing the ball to him. By the way, when you played youth basketball, were you a center? You're a taller guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was one of the taller players, but tried to play. You know, I, was, I thought I was better than I was. Tried to play more on the uh, on the perimeter. Were you any good? Uh, not bad. Nothing okay. great. Uh, good morning to you, by the way. That's Kevin Bowen. I'm Jake Quarry. It's Kevin Aquarius here, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Not the best-looking day outside mm. on a Wednesday, but, what, eight days from Thanksgiving. So, fun time of year coming up. Fulton joins us on the program. He gave us a dial at 239-1070. We wanted to squeeze him in. Hi, Fulton. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. So, how are you this morning? Doing fine, thanks. Um, I've got a question about the Colts. Okay. Um. So the Philadelphia Eagles are going against the Colts this Sunday. And what is your prediction if the Colts win against the Eagles if they make it to the playoffs? They got tough sledding, Fulton. I mean, that's the thing. Um, the and guy I appreciate my wedding the call, name, Holton. Really? Yeah, you, ever, you, you know many Holtons? Fulton, did you go to Fulton Junior High by chance? No, I haven't. It's Fulton. <laughs> it's, how do you spell your first name? It's F-E-O-T-O-N. Yeah. yeah, Fulton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess more Felton, but um, is Fulton Junior High still around? I wonder. Yeah, that's where my dad taught for oh, twenty really? years. I I don't believe so. Uh, Colts got seven games to go, Jake. Four, five, and one. You know, it's honestly for those still clinging to those playoff hopes. Tomorrow night's a big one. Tennessee and Green Bay Thursday night football. That is big. But Packers suck. The the schedule is not favorable for the Colts. Yeah, do you you have that schedule? I do. Um, they go Philadelphia. Then they've got the Steelers. I don't have any light on this schedule, so bear with me. At Dallas. Oh my God. And they have the bye week. It's like you trying to read the Ball State schedule. Unbelievable. At Minnesota. Well, All right. it's a little... It's not that home I can't the, read it. It's home against Minnesota. the Eagles. Home against the Steelers. At the Cowboys. At the Vikings. Home against the Chargers. At the Giants. Home against the Texans. I was just, I was just saying it. So you will be an underdog in all of those yeah. games, but what Steelers and Texans? The one that's intriguing to me is the Giants because it doesn't seem like that would be a tough game. But I mean, I mean they're seven and two, right? That's what I mean. I think it, I don't know if Fulton was asking this, but I think you're going to have to go five and two to be in the mix. That would be what nine, seven, and one. At nine, seven, and one. Does Tennessee fall apart? I mean, what's Tennessee right now? Six and three? Those, I'm telling you, that two-game experiment sets them back. Well, that and getting swept by the Titans. Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's the thing. They were in a huge hole for sure. Wild card-wise, I f- find this interesting, and maybe we can touch on this more tomorrow, but Jake, this is just further drives home the point that I will continue to make until April about the future quarterback needing to come from the draft. You have nine AFC teams right now above 500. The Colts are 10th in the AFC. So the top nine, all above 500. All nine of those quarterbacks are first-round picks. 
eight of those nine were drafted by those teams. Tannehill's the only one not drafted. And I believe eight of the nine were drafted in the top half of round one. Lamar Jackson being the only one. Upper quartile. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> That's right. We'll do math. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Problems next with Jeremiah Johnson. You think Jeremiah Johnson is in line to tour the NASCAR Hall of Fame right now? <laughs> I came to see Bobby Labonte. I'm not leaving until I see that car. A couple of years ago, Kevin, I say couple. It was it just probably been eight years ago. I'm at the Speedway, and I'm leaving, and it was Brickyard weekend, oh God, and some guy flags me down and I, I mean I thought it was a medical emergency flags me down and is like going bonkers and it was because he he wanted me to get a hold of Bobby Labonte for him <laughs> because he had Bobby Labonte's timing belt from like the O2 brickyard and he needed to get it signed <laughs> I go okay man I did not have Bobby Labonte on our bingo card on this Wednesday morning <laughs> Interstate batteries, baby. JJ, are you in line for the NASCAR Hall of Fame right now? (laughs) Oddly enough, as I was walking to get a coffee, I was thinking of the topics Jake might bring up, and I did think the NASCAR Hall of Fame might come up on the list. How about Bojangles? Did you get coffee at this trip? Did you get coffee at Bojangles? (laughs) No, just Panera. I figured you'd be disappointed. Well, you know, the other storyline I was thinking that you could maybe do some investigative reporting on while you're down in Charlotte, I believe that's where Frank Reich is currently residing. So maybe you can, you know, back in your Fox 59 days, you could try and uh, two birds with one stone, right? Get the exclusive. Well, I do know that, you know, back when, when traveling, so this is the first time for me being in Charlotte in a few seasons, we often would see Bill Polian at this game. I think he, he resides in the area. So uh, that would be interesting if Bill Polian was here tonight. I don't expect to see Frank Reich, but if he's at the game, I'm, I'm guessing I'm, my journalistic background would force me to do an interview during the game, correct? Well, I could not agree more with that. I would say, <laughs> do you know my favorite Pacers Hornets Bally Sports Fox Midwest broadcast moment is? Well, there's there's been a couple, actually, if you think about it. So I've got three that come to mind immediately. But if it's an in-game interview, uh, we, we talked with David West. Yes. TJ Warren was going yes. crazy, and that was actually one of my favorites. I loved that David West interview. I What, what year would that have been? 2018, 2019, something like that? I think it would have been 18, well... His first season was the 1920 season, right? When he went off in the bubble. So maybe it would have been early in that 1920 season before the pandemic. That was a great interview. Just well, basically thanks. David West's insight into you know what made T.J. Warren tick as a player and all that, and it, it honestly made me miss David West more than anything. Same, you know, and I hadn't had a chance to really talk with David. I didn't even get a chance to see him that much when he went to San Antonio and uh, and Golden State. So. I wasn't sure of his uh, feelings and opinions of the Pacers organization, but that was an interview that I I enjoyed, and I think the fans did as well. Runner-up, I'll give you something that happened um, (laughs) 
that I think Jake will appreciate. After a game, Victor Oladipo missed a couple of free throws, and Tom Crean was here. And during the entire postgame show, Tom Crean walked out on the court and, and showed Victor Oladipo how he could work on his free throw shooting form. But did so just with the camera in plain sight so he could be seen in the background of our uh, postgame show. Of course, right? I love of, that. Of course. I love that. I miss Coach Crean, too. Oh, yeah, well, I'm uh, glad someone does. Well, um, I think when Notre Dame's done by the way, Bray, they should hire Tom Green. Here's my David West trivia for you, which I've mentioned on this program before, but I'll ask Jeremiah Johnson and put him on the spot. Jeremiah, uh, David West bought whose house in Indianapolis? Do you know that? Uh, I did know it. Uh, did he buy Peyton's house? I asked Peyton Manning when, when he came back and like did his retirement presser afterwards. I said, by the way, do you still have your house on Penn? He said, uh, no, I, I, I sold that to the, the, the one pacer guy uh, that went to San Antonio uh, East, uh, David East. I go, yeah, <laughs> Tony David East. West. Tony East. That's David that. West. Yeah, that, 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 that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Um, JJ, I want to give people kind of a perspective on what happens when a team goes on the road. The Pacers are getting set now. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports, by the way, is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. So... You're in Charlotte. Obviously, that's because the Pacers and Hornets are uh, playing. But when when the team goes on the road for road trips, what does happen in terms of, you know, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, the game is, is at night, obviously. What is, the pro, what is the schedule and the routine for an NBA team when they go on the road? Well, it all depends on what the scenario was in the days leading up and, you know, whether it's the second half of the back-to-back. But if it's a situation like this where – you don't have a game the day before. Most of the time, especially early in the season, the team will have a shoot-around and they'll have a team meeting. So um, in this case, the Pacers have one hour on the court that they'll play on. Sometimes if it's an off day, you'll practice on a practice court facility. But you'll get to be on the court at the Spectrum Center. They'll do that from 11 to 12. They'll have a meeting prior to that. Uh, I'll go over with some of the staff members prior to that on a different bus. And, and once again, they'll have an hour to go through the game plan, get some shots up. If your buddy healed, you might stay another hour after that and get some additional shots up. Um, and then you have the afternoon to kind of take a nap and get ready to go. But then with the 7 o'clock game, you have to think about, you start getting ready about 2.30 or 3 because there's some staggered times for, you know, buses to get to the arena. And some, some cities, it's a little bit of a longer drive. Charlotte's one of the best ones in terms of staying downtown and, and basically going to the arena that's almost right across the street. So you, you start getting ready about three, and if, like in this situation, the Pacers will play Houston Friday. We'll leave after the game, so you've got to pack up and get ready to go. So um, you do have some time throughout the course of the day, but it goes pretty quickly, especially when it's a 7 o'clock game and you're getting ready to go about 3 o'clock, 3.30. We'll see him tonight on Bally Sports. He is Jeremiah Johnson. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, good to go. LaMelo Ball, good to go. No Gordon Hayward. What else on the injury report should I be looking for? Any Chris Duarte update? No update. I mean, he was seen after practice getting a lot of shots up, and I think two weeks ago, well, actually it was about 10 days ago that Rick Carlisle said he'd give an update in two weeks. So we might be due for an update Thursday or Friday with Chris Duarte, but at least what was visible when when practice concluded and he was doing an additional workout, I've not seen him walking and and jumping and shooting with, with any kind of limp. So I think... Maybe one of the, the national reports that said, you know, four weeks, that might be a little bit of a stretch. I think he, every time Rick Carlisle's been asked about it, he said he's been progressing quite nicely, and, and what I've seen with my own eyes would, would back that up. So I wouldn't anticipate him tonight. I didn't actually see the morning injury report. But as you said, Tyrese Halliburton was the one that 
you were concerned about initially when he went to the locker room, but he came back so quickly. And actually, what what's a good story to share is that because he left earlier in the third quarter, he wanted to get back in the game earlier in the fourth quarter, and you would rarely see him start a fourth quarter. But he asked Coach Carlisle if he could get back in the game quickly. And so he started with that group that probably had never played uh, you know, any minutes together. It included O'Shea Brissett and Isaiah Jackson and P.J. McConnell, and they changed the game. And so it does give you something else to think about, but he didn't practice on Monday, practiced on Tuesday, and pretty much sounded like he was good to go after practice yesterday. J.J., are the Pacers ahead of schedule here? And by that I mean we knew that it was going to be a, a season of exploring some things and trying out different combos, but have they already found – I'm not going to say that they're sitting here as a playoff team – but have they found a cohesiveness or some rotations that work for them perhaps faster than they thought they would? Perhaps. I mean, I, I, it's going to be tough to look at next year and the year after and say, are the five-man combinations you're seeing play right now, are they going to be still together next season? Obviously, you're building around Halliburton and Matherin and some of the other, you know, Isaiah Jackson, some of the young pieces everyone else is sort of in an audition stage. And so anyone that can play well over an extended period of time, it, it boosts their resume and it makes them under heavy consideration to be a part of this group moving forward as far as the combinations you're saying. But I think it's more of the play together with. And so obviously Halliburton and Matherin, you're really watching when those two guys play together. You're really paying attention when Andrew Nemhard drives to the basket and is so comfortable throwing that alley-oop to Isaiah Jackson because you can envision that happening over the next two or three years. To your original question, are they ahead of schedule? Probably, but it's still only 10 games in. But I, I think back to a couple of different times in the preseason and the training camp when you heard Kevin Pritchard and even Chad Buchanan say there are going to be nights that we look really good and there are going to be nights you know, that we really struggle. Outside of that first week, maybe then you extend it into that game against Chicago. But since that Chicago game, there haven't been nights. There have been quarters and halves. But every game to me has been you know, such that I start the post-game show and I have a pretty good feeling. And that through 12 games, I would say at least nine of them, I'm like, this is this was a good step forward. This was a, you know, a positive experience. I enjoyed watching this game. And I have a positive attitude about what I saw. And through 12 games last season, <laughs> maybe it was four out of 12. And so uh, I've, it's, been, uh, it's been maybe a pleasant surprise for sure. I've enjoyed what I've seen and we'll just continue to see you know, 12 games in, 6-6, six and six, you're not concerned about the record, but the overall body of work does give you reasons for excitement. And I know that... Speak for yourself, I'm not concerned about the record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we got Jimmy the hey, Greek over here. I'm not discuss things like that. I know. I do, we got, uh, JJ, worry about the Bowen children education, <laughs> you'll care about it. JJ. I look at... You know, it... it when I look at Pacers teams of the past that were built, sometimes unpopular moves had to be made because they had log jams at certain positions. This particular group, to me, there are some promising players, but they seem to have kind of riches within, and again, I know that we're in positionless basketball to an extent, but they all seem to be like in that two to three area in terms of position in the old school that they would be. What is the missing piece? If Kevin Pritchard called you and said, okay, J.J., you've watched this team a lot. You've been in practices. We need what kind of a player to to mix in with this group? It would be what? I might agree with you that there's a lot of depth at the two. 
if it's a true three and it's that three and D type of player and even go back to, you know, the Paul George type of player, that would probably be where I would say you need to find one of those guys. Now that's easier said than done because so many teams are looking for players like that. And then, you know, you look at the front court, you've got a lot of centers. You've got a um, Jalen Smith starting every game at the four, but you want to see some real steps forward this season and then to next season if he's going to be your starting four of the future, and, and that's what he would choose to do. So I kind of maybe go 3-4 at this point with, with Miles Turner's contract situation the other variable, but definitely good at, at the point guard and really – you know, a lot of guys that can play the two. Buddy Heald, I love watching him. I mean, I, I think of him still as a little bit of a two-three slash, and that he and uh, Matherin can be interchangeable just a little bit. So, uh, Buddy Heald is someone I've enjoyed watching, and I don't mean to take anything away from him when I say the three and D type of player, the three position, but. Three four is probably where I'm looking at. It's Jeremiah Johnson. Um, I know he's got a Bobby Labonte exhibit tour coming up here in about an hour, so we want to make sure we don't keep Interstate him. Batteries tour. Yeah, it starts at nine forty five. Too right. much longer. Uh, JJ, uh, we are twelve games in. I mean, that is a, a you know small chunk, but it's certainly a chunk of the season. Like playing style wise, what have you seen so far? Like uneducated eye and haven't looked at the numbers, it would seem to indicate they're playing pretty fast. They're shooting a few more threes than I feel like they have in years past. Offensively and defensively, what have you seen trend wise here through 12 games? Well, in trading camp, a number of teams will say we want to play faster. I mean, it's kind of a goal for every team. And you get to January, February, and into the playoffs, you slow down a little bit. But I think they're playing exactly the kind of pace that Rick Carlisle and Mike Weiner, who kind of heads up the offense, wants. And, and maybe even I should throw Tyrese Halliburton into that, the kind of pace that he wants. Because you'll see if a ball goes out of bounds, he wants to get that as quickly as possible and get it and see if he can create an advantage. Because I think they realize that if they're going fast, it's better than their half-court set against a set defense, especially against the top third of the league in, in defense. So you want to take advantage of those opportunities. I think the pace is exactly what they want. The only issue with that is at times it's going to be tough to play really good defense when you're playing that fast. So I think the goal is probably if you could be a top 10 offensive team and middle of the pack defensively, and they've really improved since the first week defensively, but that's kind of where things are. And I really think that Ronald Nord heading up the defense has done a pretty good job, and they've made some strides. And obviously having Miles Turner back, that helps your defense as well. Hey, Ronald Norad, man, he is active in terms of just trying to get guys defensively in the right spots on every possession, right? Yeah, if you're at a game and Jake, your seat has a perfect vantage point, watch Ronald Norad during a game and see how many steps he takes and, and how loud he is and how much he's pointing out things. It's probably a lot easier when the defense is in front of him than they're on the other end of the court. And we're going to consider doing some, some mic'd up segments with players throughout the course of the season. I've made, an, uh, I've made a push to recommend that one game we mic up Ronald Norris because Ooh. I think it would be highly entertaining. And I think he, I like uh, you would get a really good glimpse as to what he does during the course of a game. Like How that. far are you from uh, Monteo, North Carolina? Roanoke Island, I guess it is. Is that that's far from you, right? How the hell would he know that? Well, Andy Griffith's buried there. I mean, you got a chance to go see Andy Griffith's gravesite. You got to go, right? Um, you know, I, again, I I've, I've gone to Houston num- numerous times, and I'm going to head there this week. 
I'm not sure that I'm planning to go steal any AstroTurf. I, I just don't know that our mm-hmm. day off plans are very similar with you and I, Jake. Yep. <laughs> An afternoon nap or just go touch the headstone of Andy Griffith. Boy, I mean, really juggling things listen, there. Listen, do you know how difficult it is for me sometimes to have to put up with your guys' lack of adventure? I mean, come on. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, 6.30 night. Coverage begins 7 o'clock tip in Charlotte, as he said, in Houston Friday. Uh, back home for a few, and then the big Western road trip uh, late November into December. JJ, safe travels. Uh, thank you. All right. Always enjoy coming on. <clears throat> Jeremiah Johnson, right? You know, there uh, Jeremiah's sport coat had a loose button the other day, and one of the gals down at the scorer's table spent the entire first half sewing his button back on. Look at that. I mean, that's full service, well, right? That is 1,000%. I, no wonder Gamebridge Fieldhouse is always voted, like, number one consumer experience in the NBA. That's right. What? He wants to rebut the button issue. Go ahead. Oh. That's a rebuttonal. It was a rebuttoning. <laughs> Go ahead, JJ. JJ, you got so, some button topics? Yeah. I mean, Jake's selling me out. I feel like I need to defend myself. Ooh. I, I don't. I don't know that I necessarily was claiming that you did anything wrong. You Mike had a, is all yours. You had what Feel appeared free. to be a loose button, and you had someone sew your button back on, right? Okay. Just as long as no one thinks that you know the button broke just because the suit didn't fit. I, I was, oh, you know, in the in the aisle way. I was trying to allow people to walk through, and it's kind of tight quarters around there. And for it the is. second time in two seasons, I leaned up against the railing so someone could walk by, and the button got caught on the railing and then I'm, you know, lost. And it was right when I was getting ready to go do my first first quarter segment on on the court and it's just a it's just kind of a helpless feeling. So credit the stage manager, Lindsay, did a fantastic job, found a sewing kit, put that button together before the halftime show. How about that? She worked on it for like yeah. literally the first half. It was very impressive, <laughs> actually. The more well, you can do she has to hand in area the cards for the sponsor reads, but in between doing that, she was also a seamstress. So uh, she's, I got to talk to the folks at Valley, give her a raise for that game. 1,000%. I thought they were playing so well, it just absolutely busted your buttons. You were so proud. I thought that's what it was. You could have gone with that, but you had to go with thin, t- tight quarters. That's I thought cool. he had chicken tenders yep. pregame, and then all of a sudden, you <laughs> No, that's know. me. That's me. Yep. All right, well, all right. hopefully no button issues tonight, J.J., Uh, We're hoping everything stays put together. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Jeremiah Johnson right there on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Again, the next six for the Pacers before that huge Western road trip. These are teams all below 500 right now. So you got Charlotte tonight, Houston coming up on Friday, home with Orlando twice, Saturday and Monday, Home to Michael Grady's Timberwolves. And then, ironically enough, you play Michael Grady's old team, the Brooklyn Nets. That's the light, lighting of the tree night next Friday. What a great night. The day after Thanksgiving is such a good night. 8 o'clock tip for that one. And then you are out west for seven straight. I think, I remember having Pat Boylan on earlier in the year. I think that's the longest road trip in Pacers franchise history. See, they used to, I was talking to somebody about this. A lot of times the Pacers schedule was very front-loaded with home games because they wanted Gamebridge Fieldhouse to be open and accessible for NCAA and or Big Ten tournament games in March. Wasn't there a circus too? Or am I imagining things? That might be right. And they've had like the swimming, you know, they've had different events. But right. my point, do you, have you been to a circus? 
aside from West 56. But well, you, like, some would argue with you every morning. <laughs> Were you a circus guy, Mark? As a I'm kid? not a circus guy. I don't know who is a circus guy. Yeah, I, I went to one, not, but I, I, but I will sad s- going there. I, do they I still love do the greatest circuses? showman. Yes. They Someone still do circus. I saw one in Northwest Indiana. You feel kind of bad for the animals. I right? did. I was like, I was like, can this get over with? These poor animals just hanging out in Northwest Indiana. Yeah, the elephants don't necessarily look thrilled to be there. No. We're gonna have the fever head coach to round things out. Yeah. Again, Victoria Webanyama is that her name? That's Th- who you're that's shooting for, yeah, for the number one pick. Now the WNBA draft, they like do it, don't they? Do it like in season, or am I imagining things? Or maybe it's right before the start of the. Hold on. Can I do the WNBA mock draft? Oh, yeah. I got to do the tankathon. <laughs> Let's now, see. that was a big deal for the Fever because they've had like chances to get the number one pick, I think, several years, and just the luck has not been on their side. With the first pick in the 2023 WNBA draft. Where's our music? I know. He's jumping the gun here. Thank you. The Indiana Fever select. Is Val Ackerman the commissioner? I kind of Aaliyah Boston from the University of South Carolina. Minnesota is on the clock. When's the last time that in the WNBA draft that the top prospects are South Carolina, Stanford, Maryland, Iowa State, Tennessee, Virginia Tech, Ohio State, and Villanova? Nobody from Well the Yukon. Nobody from Paige Connecticut. Beckers tore ACL. Yeah. The I Pacers also have the seventh pick, I think. So right? they they figure out who's got the number one overall pick, but the draft itself is until April. That seems like a very long time. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't follow at all like the NBA pattern yeah. to how they handle things. All right, uh, let's do a morning checkdown before the pop quiz. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, the Colts have their first practice of the week. Six and a half point underdog. That line is shrinking a little bit with the Eagles coming to town uh, this Sunday at 1 o'clock. Yesterday was coordinator day for the Colts. That meant Parks Frazier chatting about his first play calling experience and the support he got from Jeff Saturday. For me, I'm always going to point the finger at myself. So I don't know if I would say I was necessarily second-guessing myself, but uh, I was definitely I'm asking myself the question, should I have done this better? Because that's what I'm always looking to do. But Jeff was amazing on the headset. And honestly, the entire staff just encouraging me, you know, saying, hey, man, just keep calling it. You're, you know, you're dealing, just keep calling it and just giving me the confidence to just continue to do, you know, what we were doing in the game. He sounds excited. I like that. Yeah, I, I enjoy his uh, genuine energy. And again, simplified things. I thought they committed to the pass protection, got the ball out very quick, relied on Jonathan Taylor. Um, very, very nice first game recipe out of Parks Frazier. The thing that I saw about Parks on Sunday that I'm like, wow, he's really simplifying things. First and goal, QB sneak. He's yeah. not waiting until third and goal, right, fourth right. and goal. He's not trying anything cute on first and second down. First and goal, Matt Ryan, QB sneak, and seven points in the first quarter and move on. That was a premature swoosh, but that's totally on me, Mark. I, I... <laughs> Wait a minute. Get that looked at. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Purdue over Marquette, 75 cents. This happens when you turn 50. 75-70 last night, the Boilers. Five-point winners. Really nice outing for Braden Smith. Mr. Basketball had 20. Zach Eady with 20 and 13 for Purdue. College basketball tonight. It's Valpo and Chicago State, Southeast Missouri, and Evansville. Southern Indiana, Stan Garage Boys, 1-1, taking on Notre Dame. 
You going to watch that game, Kev? Hell yeah, 8 o'clock, ACC Network. And Ball State, chirp, chirp. By the way, if you can name what that, the Southern Indiana Notre Dame game, do you know the name of, like, what? Yeah, the Gotham Classic. Okay. Nerd. <laughs> I mean, I am literally obsessed with Notre Dame Nerd! basketball. Ball State taking on Peyton Manning's favorite team, Omaha, tonight. That game at 8 30. You know how much it pained me this past Sunday when Notre Dame Youngstown State was the same time as Colts Raiders? God. I almost had two TVs. When you were in high school, I mean, you went to Cathedral, so there's a lot of Notre Dame fans. Were you still the only Notre Dame basketball fan? Right. Yeah, Ryan Bowen, myself, um, the only others I've come across are Patrick Kennedy and Shane Bryant. Those are the only Notre Dame basketball fans I've ever met. In how many life. How many Notre Dame home games have you attended in your lifetime? Uh, I'd say probably right around a dozen. What do you get more excited for? A Notre Dame basketball game or Tiger on a Sunday oh in a major? God, I mean, that's like it's like me asking you to pick one of your who's your favorite daughter out of the three. Oh, okay. Well, that that's a bit different, I would think. <laughs> no, it's the apples to apples, honestly. With that, uh, that's a big one tonight. Southern Indiana with Stan Gerard, Jake. Uh, they almost beat Missouri earlier this year. They beat Southern Illinois. Um, so I'm a little nervous for the Irish um, with that one. Uh, college football rankings, right? Uh, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. That's one through four. Uh, how many people can name TCU's head coach, you think? Man, not many. Not many. Who is their head coach? No longer Gary Patterson. Correct. correct? He's retired. Sonny Dykes leads really? the Horn Frogs. Tennessee, LSU, USC, Bama, Clemson, Utah round out the top 10. I forgot Tom and Bob Farrell. Shout out to the Farrell brothers. Tom just texted me. He loves the Fighting Mike Braves as well. He does. Yeah, that's fair. The Joyce Athletic and what's it called? The Joyce, oh, Athle- Joyce Athletic Center? Yeah, it's pathet- the environment's so pathetic. It just looks like, like when it, it, first of all, it always looks dark. Is it dark or is that just the way it looks on TV? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the in-conference crowds are a little better. I mean, they get like 300 people to show up to these non-conference games. Really? Yeah, it's sad. I mean, flip it on tonight. 8 o'clock tip, no way. People, yeah, it'll be awful. You know who else is on CBS Sports Network? Go Pokes. Cowboys, right? Yeah, Wyoming, man. That's where I watch them. Every once in a while, I tune in, though, and they're like, sorry, but the Weber State game's in triple overtime. <laughs> Didn't last year, like, yes. their game not come on until seven <laughs> minutes to go? In yes, the game I was so mad. I was so excited. <laughs> oh, well, it is what it is. I'm also excited for the pop quiz. So is Scotty. He's in here in his Pacers gear, and that is next here on Kevin and Query. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Now, you guys might be ashamed by this, but when Rosie, our uh, daughter, was in utero, we didn't know her sex. Mm-hmm. Um, we referred to her as Bonzi for former Notre Dame great Bonzi Colson. Okay. Say that again. When Rosie was in utero, you know, we didn't know if she was TMI a boy or girl. We would refer to her as Bonzi for Notre Dame great. My second favorite Notre Dame basketball player behind Luke Heron Goatee, Bonzi Colson. What about oh. Bonzi Wells? Couldn't be- Different spelling. Bonzi okay. Colson throws the E on the end. But doesn't Bonzi Wells just go with the I? Yes. I always thought that was a tree. Maddie tolerates a lot with that's you. A, that's a I'm bonsai, realizing that, right? Isn't that what they had in one of the... Karate Kids, a bonsai tree. It sounds right. 
You know, Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid was like 43. <laughs> Pat Morita was older in Karate Kid, or was younger in Karate Kid than Ralph Macchio is today. It's like Tom Brady in the NFL still. Yeah, no kidding. All right, it is pop quiz time. Wow, loaded phone lines now that I look over there, Mark. Yeah, half of them are for comments. Oh. Correcting Jake on his Texas information. What did I say about Texas? Something incorrect, I guess. We'll have to get to that. Something after. about Gary Patterson's not retired. Gary Patterson's not retired. He's in Texas. After the pop quiz. Wait, so you're saying he is not retired? I don't know. Is he coaching somewhere? He may be. He's uh, on, uh, what's his name, staffs. Sarkeesian staff. Okay, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Uh, pick a number one through eight, Jake. Uh, we will go with that. You know what? That's the first time I've been wrong about something, so we'll go with one. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go with Steve, who is actually number two, because there's no way that was the huh? first mess up you've had today. Yeah, lightning's going to strike the studio here. Uh, what's up, Steve? Hey, good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Jake. Uh, licking my wounds from the Marquette loss last night. Steve, I thought they had it there through 30 minutes. You know, I was flipping back and forth between the much more exciting Michigan State uh Kentucky game. And you know, Kentucky is 0-2 this year in games at uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Because who did they lose to in March? Oh, that's right. Do we have... Mark, what are you doing? I mean, expecting a Peacock reference teed up Mark. I mean, everything was sitting there on the platter. I think Steve, like, planned that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, Kevin, before we start the quiz, how did the tomatoes turn out for you this year? Tomatoes turned out swell. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Rosie enjoyed watering them probably a little bit too much at times, uh, but they were a great, great gesture. And Is that going to be an annual thing at Carb Day? It, it can be. Gosh, I would love that. That'd be beautiful. Steve and I have had a great relationship over the years. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of hate at first. Now it's turned right. into a loving relationship. Yeah, Steve, I will be in your hometown of Milwaukee in three weeks, so... Should you need anything from home, you send me a direct message. I will happily bring you back something from America's Dairyland. Not that you're not going to be there around the holidays, but I thought I'd throw it in anyway. And, Jake, if you would like a tour of a local brewery up there, Frecker, I'm happy to arrange that for you and Stan. All right. Fair enough. That. Um, I do like doing the, the tours up there in terms of the breweries. I know the marketing director well, and I'm sure that he'd be happy to host you and Shannon. I'll, awesome. I'll text Shannon. I will... I will instant message Shannon to arrange that. Whoa. <laughs> well, all right. All right. Well, there goes any Cut hints. Cut me right out of the equation. All right. Whoa. There goes any hints you had <laughs> There we go. pop quiz. All right, Steve, you ready for question number one? Would you like for me or for Kevin to lead you off? Kevin. All right, Steve. Pacers in Charlotte tonight to face the Hornets. Who won last season's series between the Pacers and the Hornets? This team won it 4 nothing. Oh, that would be the Hornets. Okay. By the way, if you're going to DM Shannon, you can't do it on Twitter anymore. She got permanently suspended. Whoa. Yeah, she got booted from Twitter. Elon said, see ya? <laughs> yeah, I don't... And, I, and Jake, the reason that I asked Kevin to do that is because Kevin has... Kevin will be asking me the prime number integers of this quiz. <laughs> That's wow, right. look at this. <laughs> okay. The tutor on the All side. All right, here we go. Jake. Question number two for you, Steve. The College Football Playoff Committee released its rankings last night. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, your top three, but who is fourth? Is it TCU. Tennessee? Oh, 
Wow, no hesitation. I like Steve that. Louisville lost again last night. Men's basketball falling to Appalachian State at the Yum Center. The Cardinals are 0-3 at home this season with losses to Bellarmine, Wright State, and App State. In which decade did the Cardinals last lose their first three home games? That would be in the 70s. It's multiple Sh- choice. Do you, you want to hear the multiple the op- choice? Do you want to hear the options? Yes. 1960s, 1940s, 1920s, or it's never happened? Uh, Let's go with never happened. That's rare here. Okay. Shifting his thinking there from the 70s. Question number four. Duke lost to sixth-ranked Kansas last night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. John Choyer lost in his first attempt to beat an AP top 10 opponent. John Choyer, of course, the head coach at Duke. Shire. What'd I say? Shoyer. Oh, sorry. John Shire, yeah. The former player, of course. Who was the last Duke head coach to win in his first attempt against a top 10 team? Was it Eddie Cameron, Vic Bubas, former Northwestern, or at that time, future, I should say, Northwestern coach Bill Foster or Mike Krzyzewski? Uh, the, the, the second guy whose name you kind of mispronounced. <laughs> Bubas? That was all of them, I think. Yeah, that was all of them. I'm tired. Bubas? Didn't you say it's Bubas, Scotty? That's how I said it, right? I said Vic Bubas, right? Steve, to round it out, on this day in history, the United States president, this United States president, became the first sitting president to attend a regular season National Football League game. Name him. Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, John Kennedy, or Dwight Eisenhower? Uh, John Kennedy. Steve, you know, that last question where you got on me about the pronunciation, like, I I can have Shannon, you know, we're getting close here where I could say, like, all right, Shannon, you got to block Steve. No DMs. I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to you, especially because I want the tour in, uh, in Milwaukee. All right, here we go. Question number one. Uh, Steve was correct. Steve got off to a great start. Hornets at 4-0 last oh, year was correct. in. Yes, thank you, Coach Ersay. Horn Frogs, number two, currently ranked fourth in... I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage. Playing the hits right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, question three, I believe that Steve said it has never happened. It actually happened in the 1940s. For Louisville. You blew it! He was adamant about the 70s. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> uh, Bill Foster. out of me for years. That's right. Bill Foster, who later went on to coach at Northwestern, was the answer for question number four. And Richard Nixon in 1969, the Cowboys and the then damn act together. That's what he would say to Richard. I love Steve. Steve strikes me as an American historian. I'm surprised he uh, did not get that last one. I know. If you'd have given him the year, Steve would have known it. He knows his presidents guarantee it. Christy Sides, the new head coach of the Indiana Fever. She joins us next here. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On Kevin Court. Jake, the uh, rebuild of the Indiana Fever continues. Their new head coach is going to join us right now. Her name is Christy Side. Some ties to the Fever before with Lendon and... 
Obviously a huge, huge franchise decision coming up with the number one overall pick as they continue to try and add to their young core. And Coach Sides joins us now. Coach, congrats on becoming the newest head coach of the Indiana Fever. Hey, good morning, guys. Thank you for having me on. And, um, yeah, thank you. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for me and my family, but uh, an exciting time for the Fever. I mean, that number one pick, first time ever. Uh, it's just an exciting exciting thing things are happening around the fever. Let's start with the why on your end. Why was this something you wanted to pursue? You know, I've been a lifer uh, when it comes to being an assistant coach. I've um, helped uh, coaches, you know, get teams who've never been to the playoffs, into the playoffs, and into the uh, WNBA finals. Um, I've loved the role of, uh, uh, of someone's right-hand man, someone who's really heavily involved in the basketball piece, the development piece, um, and, and the culture. And it's just, you know, as a head coach, there's just so many things that go into um, other than the basketball that you have to, you know, to take care of. So it was always going to, you know, I just knew it was going to take me away. But, you know, timing is everything. And as soon as the season was done in Atlanta this, this past season, um, Lynn reached out and, when I tell you everything just fell into place, it really was a perfect timing thing. And when something like that is that easy, um, and it just seems to happen and flow, you just—it's really hard to push it and shove it away, like I've done in the past. Coach, I was on—I took a trip with a buddy of mine about a month ago, and we were both in a city. And both of us, as we were leaving, said, "Wow, like that city is way underrated. Like that was a really cool place." And both of us, were like, I could live there. And you never hear people talking about it. That was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is your hometown, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, now, sir. since growing up in Baton Rouge, you have coached in Evanston, Illinois. You've coached in Russia. You've coached in Slovakia. You've coached in Chicago. You've coached collegiately at Louisiana Tech. So my question for you is, as you go around and you take a circuitous route from a coaching standpoint, is the game the same everywhere, or are there styles of play or different ways that you pick up along the way where all of them then kind of become ingredients towards what we see with the fever? I mean, I, that is a great statement um, and question. You you take all those ingredients um, from every experience that you've had, and, and I've been really blessed to have a lot of great experiences um, all over the country, all over the world. Um, I've coached, you know, some of the best players in the world from, you know, from the smallest countries um, like the Slovakia and the Serbia um, and, and, and to Russia. And, you know, you just have all these ingredients, like you said, and you just have to, you know, building a program is, is not, it's, it's a really hard thing. It takes, you know, the key one is tough people. Um, you got to have tough people to do that. You got to have people aligned doing it the, you know, all the right things the right way. And, and those are some of the things I've taken. I mean, the basketball, you know, all the different philosophies and offenses and defense, but it really comes back to your personnel. Now, I'm curious, when you're in Moscow and you order a Moscow mule, do you call it that or is it just a mule? Do you just say, I want a mule and they know what it is? I mean, I, I think they just knew what it was. You just <laughs> they bring you a horse. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she is Christy Sides. She's the new head basketball coach for the Indiana Fever. Coach, your energy seems to be pretty infectious through the phone. I'm curious just your your style as a head coach. Obviously, last year the Fever bounced around to a lot of venues, all back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse this coming season. If we show up to a game, what style are we going to see? 
you're going to, we are going to put a, a team on the floor that's going to play so hard. That's the first thing you're going to recognize. You're going to recognize that they're going to be diving on the floor for loose balls. Um, I am a defensive minded um, first coach. So um, that's, you, you know, talking and communicating all the things that go into playing good defense. That's what you're going to recognize first. Um, and also styles of the game, uh, kind of like the question you asked earlier, the style and the new way we're playing is fast. It's across the board fast. Um, our pace, we're going to play with a pace, which is exciting for the fans. And, and the players like to play that way. We're going to spread the floor. Uh, we're going to find people that can shoot the basketball. We're going to make you guard us and help, and we're going to kick and we're going to find shooters that can knock it down. Have you eaten at Yats here in town? I'm curious, like, how authentically gumbo it is. You know, <laughs> you know what? I've, I've, t- I've tended to shy away from the, the seafood um, up, up in that area, but I'm willing to try anything. I've actually heard there's a couple places that have some good seafood up there. But, you know, man, I, I'm from Baton Rouge, but I live on the Gulf Coast in Mississippi. It's where my home is, and we actually have the gumbo fest happening here on Saturday. So, you know, we do it differently down here. We, we use some things and some seasons and things that, you know, you guys just don't put in your food up there. Have, have, you been to, have you been to Bay St. Louis? I'm, I'm actually 15 minutes from Bay St. Louis. I spend a lot of time down there. Heck yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what, Coach. I spent time down in Bay St. Louis about two weeks. Uh, this is about 10 years ago. But um, if you can bring to the fever not that they need it or not that we need it here but just the overall generosity of people in southern mississippi and in the gulf i mean a lot of those people down there you're talking about people that don't necessarily have a lot but man yeah. they are so open and so warm and so kind that might be the nicest part of the i know that you guys want to be a little bit mean when you're playing basketball but that might be the nicest part of the country yeah it's, it's a great place down here on the gulf coast it's um like you said you know there's you know, there's some unfortunate people here, but like everybody is warm and and generous and and do what they have. And to meet people from like Indianapolis or from away, there's people travel here all the time, and and they really enjoy their experience. Coach, we'll end with this. Um, in your mind, where are the Fever at in this rebuild? Obviously, there's been some trying times on the court for the franchise over the past couple of seasons. We see the Pacers having a very energized start to the year. Um, where would you kind of pin the rebuild right now uh, for your guys? Yeah, um, I, I really think, I know this is kind of a, uh, I have to get the right people on the bus. Um, I have to do that as it relates to, to the coaches that I hire, um, you know, the players, um, and, and just the, the people around that's going to help me keep this culture, to build a culture and a structure. Um, it's going to be different. You know, I've been really excited over the weekend, but I'm kind of, you know, I keep telling myself, I've got to, you know, I've, the word's got to be, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and, and that's going to be important, but I got to get the right people on the, on the bus. I got to develop the right people. Um, and then at the end of the day, keep it simple and control the controllables. And, um, if I can do that, um, and establish, you know, our values and have our players buy into it, it's going to be their values. Actually, they're going to put them into place. And, um, you you know, we're going to put a product on the floor and it's going to be exciting and we're going to grow and build and, and hopefully get this thing moving in the right direction. Well, did you really score 3,375 points in high school? I, I didn't learn to pass or play wow. defense. Until <laughs> like, <college. laughs> how many assists were mixed in there? It's a neon That's green light. That's impressive. 
I mean, the all-time record in Indiana is 31-34 for boys, so 33-75 is not messing around. That's impressive. Yeah, I really hate watching myself now because it's not what I teach by no means. <laughs> hey, Fair enough. shoot or shoot, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Again, Christy Sides, the new head coach of the Indiana Fever. Coach, congrats. I know it's been something you've uh, looked for really throughout your entire career. What an opportunity, and uh, best of luck to you. Hey, thank you guys. I really appreciate it again bringing me on this morning. That's Christy Sides right there. Again, Fever season tickets on sale. Last year they bounced around to a variety of venues, the State Fairgrounds, Hinkle, everything back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, feverbasketball.com. I'm telling you, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, um, it was amazing driving along. I was there probably oh, eight years or so after Katrina. And driving along the coast and seeing just driveway after driveway after driveway that all led to empty lots Hmm. because everything was gone from the storm uh, still. And it was probably five years after, actually. But um, it's a beautiful area, but the people are are, – it is unbelievable. I mean, literally, they don't know a stranger down there, you know. So I fit in. It was was awesome. She's got some energy. Totally. Well, you got to to score 3,375 points in high school? Well, I'm imagining if Lynn Dunn likes you, you probably got some energy because Lynn Dunn always, I'm always like, man, if I can be as excited as her at that age. Lynn Dunn is, Lynn Dunn is She's fun, one of it? a kind, right? Totally. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, love to have a beer with Lynn Dunn and Rick Venturi. What about a Moscow Mule? Uh, certainly a Mule. Uh, Virginia has canceled their game against Coastal Carolina, unsurprisingly. Seemed yeah, like it was I mean, kind of trending towards that. Just I'm, Virginia Tech, I think, is the season finale. I know I mentioned it yesterday. You know, can you honor your seniors at that game? Is that something that matters at this point? Did you see that? I don't even know. Virginia Tech is hosting that game, right? Right. So I was kind of thinking. And they didn't. Were you the one saying yesterday that Virginia Tech has offered yeah, to allow senior yeah. day at Virginia Tech? I think that would be a yeah. um, certainly a moving moment. Obviously, sadly, Virginia Tech has dealt with their own tragedy. On that front. Again, uh, Pacers and Hornets tonight at 7. Our coverage will begin at 6.30. Inside IU Football will follow that. Thank you to Stephen Holder, Jeremiah Johnson, and Christy Sides for joining us. Uh, Kind of a gloomy Wednesday here in Indy. Everybody have a good hump day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 7.